Welcome to episode 207 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 111 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I will be continuing our uh, trip around the diamond, and we'll be doing our second base preview, covering uh, second baseman ADP 1 through 10, and then picking a couple guys that we like from 10 to 20. And then some of the uh, deeper targets and then answering a bunch of listener questions. So really, we scan the gamut of second baseman from deep in draft champions leagues, like 40 plus round targets for second base, um, all the way to the top. So hope you enjoyed these and all the previews that we are putting out. Um, If you do, please do leave a rating and review. Always appreciate that. We've been getting some of those in. So um, really appreciate it when people give us um, some positive feedback or some constructive criticism as well. Hopefully the audio is better on this um, episode. I tried to make sure that my mic was better positioned for higher quality audio, so hopefully that's the case. All right, uh, that's about it for now. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 111. Going to continue our positional previews for the 2022 fantasy baseball season. Heading to second base, fun position. Very, very fun. Lots of questions, so it must be a very uh, intriguing position for you listeners out there, which we love to have tons and tons of questions. To help preview it all, you can find me on Twitter at BDentric, and my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? Bubba, we're doing great. Uh, Right now, for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, I have the mic positioned directly in front of my face. So you can only see my eyes and a little bit of my nose. But we've had a couple, I've I've received some friendly complaints about the audio um, on my end. And I know Bubba has a beautiful mic, a newer mic. (laughs) So I thought I would try to do this. I'm putting the mic right in front of my face. It's blocking a lot of my face on YouTube, which I know is a disappointment for a lot of our viewers. But uh, for those who are listening, I hope the sound quality is better. Please let me know if the sound quality is better and we should continue doing this. It's going to be hard to like be on my keyboard and be on my computer with the mic right in my face. But the most important thing about this podcast isn't us, Bubba. The most important thing about this podcast is the listeners. 100%. And we want to make sure. I mean, also, we have like incredibly sexy voices. Naturally. So yeah. you want to be able to have all of that come through on the mic. Um, the punctuation, the expression, the emotion, the enthusiasm, the reason people listen to this podcast. So that's enough about me and the mic, but things are going pretty well, plugging along, doing drafts, hoping we get some baseball soon. You sound a lot better, I'll tell you that much. But uh, you hit on two things of why I upgraded mine, because A, sitting and talking into it the whole time after a while gets a little tedious once in a while, depending on the show, and B, the accessing your computer part gets uh, complicated at times, but uh, you sound much, much better. So you're good to go. Thank good you. Good to go. 
But uh, let's do it. Let's talk second base. It's an interesting position because it's it's fun, but it's kind of like you can tell by the questions. A lot of people are kind of concerned about certain pockets of the second base. And that kind of makes sense when you go through them all as you've gone through drafts already and everything. So what's your approach on second base so far before we actually talk about players? Yeah, you know, I find second base to be kind of rough, honestly. Um, You know, I know it's like deeper than it usually is, but I feel like it's deeper in the first, you know, like 100 picks. And then, you know, after that, it gets pretty dicey pretty quickly, you know, and there's obviously like some guys going later, you know, that, that I like and that are, that are solid plays, but it's also really hard to go into a draft and be like, okay, well, if I make it off outside a pick, you know, 110 and I don't have my second baseman yet, I literally have like two guys that I may be interested in getting, you know, for this position. And, you know, and hopefully I get one of those guys, right? You end up having to reach or, or push a guy up your board. It's more difficult in draft champions, which I'm in right now, because like you're trying to not only get that first second baseman, but you're also trying to get depth. And it's really, really, I'm finding it really hard to do that, um, you know, in my drafts. But I think that's true th- across infield. So generally, I mean, there's some really nice pockets like people mentioned. I think that pockets are so kind of, you know, similar. Like we got a question about it. So I don't want to mention it specifically, but like, you know, there's kind of like that Altuve, Edmund, Lau, Polanco, Marte, India grouping right there. And it's almost like they're so similar in a lot of ways that it's kind of like whoever's the last one standing, you know, mm-hmm. um, is who you go with. So I feel like there's pockets, you know, where you have some really nice options in second base, but it's not, you know, as deep of a position. So if you're in a 15 team league and you're looking at second base, you know, there's kind of, there's a couple guys going in, in that kind of late one hundreds to early two hundreds range, which I'm fine with them being my second baseman, but, um, yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting, and only one of them has speed. So yeah, that's the that's one of the big ones. There's well, yeah. there's a couple. There's a couple little steal, but uh, the later you get, the much more complicated it is to find the steals. And you know, you usually look at middle infield for your stolen bases, the outfield a bit too. But usually, like shortstop has a bunch of bunch of uh, steals. Second base you used to kind of look to for stolen bases as well, but it's uh, not as clear cut as it used to be. And most of the guys that have steals upside of second base have shortstop eligibility. So you might not be playing them at second base. So that makes it uh, kind of tricky as well. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting position to say the least. And it's like each pocket you talked about is okay. One guy might steal a little bit, but then this other guy has a lot of power and this other guy, like they're not all clear cut. Uh, like it kind of depends on what you need at the time of the draft almost. And that, that makes it uh, kind of interesting as well. So um, it, it, people will probably get the answers to some of the questions throughout this podcast as we talk about them, but we'll, we'll recap them at the end. But it's like the strategy questions about second base. There were some more detailed strategy questions and whatnot. So we'll hit all those up for sure. But it's a it's an interesting interesting position. And as you said, like in draft champions, you want like people forget about it so much as you need like at least three at most positions, if not four. And so it's like, there's one thing to say, yeah, I got this really, really talented guy, but then just leave it hanging forever. You start kind of holding the bag after a while and it's, it's not a good feeling. So you kind of want to jump in and, and do different things. That's what makes those drafts so interesting is when do you go load up on this or that like positional wise. And that's, that's when it's interesting. But it's also interesting 
to change your mindset to go to redraft leagues. And I'm trying to figure that out right now because now you're not focused. Like where you would be going, oh, I need my second second baseman. Well, no, now you can go get like your fifth pitcher. You don't have to worry about it. It's like it's a different animal, but that's a whole nother podcast. But that's where my brain's been slowly moving here at the last couple of weeks. And so it's, it's different, different to say the least. But um, let's talk second base. As usual, we'll do top 10 in an ADP according to NFBC. We'll talk about some uh, picks 11 through 20. And a 21 plus some ADP debates, your questions, and more. But uh, ADP will be draft champions ADP since January 10th, covering 22 drafts in that time. You crazies, tons and tons of drafts, tons and tons of fun. We just wrapped up Battle of the Pods uh, today, actually. So that was fun as well. We'll kick it off. Trey Turner leads the way, the shock of nobody. ADP of 1.25. Uh, he's pretty much starting to become the consensus number one. We saw Jose Ramirez go. The other night, we kind of talked about that in the preview podcast where not a big deal, kind of can back that. But, you know, Trey Turner, 28 bombs last year, 32 RBIs at 328. It's back-to-back 300-plus seasons, 298 or more in three straight seasons. Speed's always been legit, but the power that I've been praying would show up finally showed up. And now he's going to be leading off, but most likely for the Dodgers again. So I know we talked about him a lot. I don't have a whole lot to add besides I think he's elite. He's one of the best five-category talents you can find out there right now. And having him number one is just pretty – it's easy for me. He's my number one, but unless like I'll understand J Ram if you want to go there, but pretty much Trey Turner and I move on. Yeah. I think, I think Turner's pretty unanimous. The, the first pick of the draft, at least if you're going to go with a hitter, I mean, theoretically, if you want to go with a pitcher and it could change as we get into the redraft scenarios, like the main events, the more pitching deep uh, leagues, but you know, first hitter off the board makes a lot of sense. You know, I think there's some arguments, like you mentioned, for J-Ram, even potentially potentially um, Fernando Tatis Jr., but because of the, you know, the injury concern around the shoulder, something that Trey doesn't necessarily have, I think, you know, he's 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 there and he's solid. He's he's going to be really, really good. I think the biggest change that we've seen recently, and the only thing I'll, I'll just mention is just the increase in power numbers. You know, he had 36 barrels last year, 7.4% barrel rate after 18 in the shortened season at 9%. So in the last, you know, what is it? 700 or so batted ball events that he's had, you know, his barrel rate is around 8%, which is much higher than his career average around 6%. So I think that's one of the major changes, you know, that he, that's he, that he's made that has helped him move from kind of, you know, ever present in the first round to, um, front of the first round. Yeah, like the elite uh, hitter choice out there. And James, I see your question. Keep them coming. We'll get to those later on. I kind of want to keep the flow of the picks coming. We'll definitely hit on that question because that's a good one about Kevin Biggio. But, um, yeah, Trey Turner, pretty much uh, consensus around most per circles. Uh, you did make a good point there. I'm glad you brought it up, though, about the starting pitcher because, like, in DCs, we're not seeing it as common uh, these days, but you will see it in the redrafts for sure. Like you said, especially main events, once we kind of get a better feel for things, potentially you might, you're going to see some guys get pushed up and that's going to happen for sure. Like it does every single year. So that is a good point um, as well. The second, second baseman off the board. Now this is a fun one is Ozzy Albies. He's going around pick 20, 21 right now. Um, he's pretty darn elite. He's uh, he's one of those. It feels like if you take a pitcher late first round, you're coming back with Ozzy Albies. He's one of the only steals guys left. If, if you need to, because if you miss then, it's a 15-team league by round three and four. 
Steals are tough. You're going to start reaching on people. So it gets really interesting. So it's one of those kind of predicaments when you pick it, uh, pick your poisons. But Albie's coming off a 30 home run, 20 stolen base season, 103 uh, runs, 106 RVIs, hit 259. Those are insane numbers from Ozzy Albies. And uh, the projections don't think that's far off. They actually have them for, you know, 25 to 30 homers, 20 stolen bases. They actually have them for a higher batting average. All the projections do, which is pretty darn good. I know we've talked about it time and time again. It's like if you could just maybe not switch it, just stick to the right side maybe or something, that hmm. could be big. We'll have to kind of see how that get, goes. But best hard hit rate of his career last year, and um, he keeps getting better and better. The crazy thing is he's 25 years old, just turned 25. Yeah. So it's like you want to say this is the max, like his ceiling, but he's 25. Like this could get crazier for Ozzy Obs. I don't think it will. I think we're pretty much in that, you know, maybe he lucks into 35 at some time, but, you know, 25 to 30 seems legit, but – the dude's awesome, and um, I'm a big fan. When we talk later in the draft, later in the podcast, they have questions like who we're targeting. Albies is on a lot of my teams, so um, I'm a big Ozzy Albies fan. Yeah, Albies is he's he's wonderful, um, and it's it's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned like you know this is pretty close to his ceiling. I mean, a 30 20 season is absolutely incredible, and I think one of the reasons why he's so interesting to me is that you know, in some ways it is like power. Maybe we're at, we're at the cap a little bit, you know, although he is 25, but I do think that they're fantasy wise, there's room for that value to grow significantly. And I think that comes from the 259 batting average, 100%. you know, that's the lowest batting average that he's had, you know, in any season of his career, it comes with a 278 BABIP, which is the lowest of his career. Now, he did have the lowest ground ball rate of his career at 31.4%, which is more than 5% lower than his league average. So I think that's where you see kind of those home run numbers coming into play, you know, those 30 home runs. But that, you know, when that normalizes, because I don't think he's a 31% home run guy or uh, ground ball guy at this point, you know, like with a career average like that, I think you're you're looking at a guy who's who at his lowest will probably be like 33, 34, closer to that you know, that 37% that he's got for his career. And when that happens, I think that will benefit the batting average considerably. And then when you look at the home run total, you know, he did have one of the low, you know, I guess a lower home run per fly ball rate at 12.2%. You know, he did have 47 barrels for those 30 home runs. So, you know, again, because he had the lower ground ball rate, he's going to have more barrels because he's hitting, hitting the ball in the air more. But he's still, you know, he had his highest max exit velocity, um, highest barrel rate, like, and again, the 2020 and 2021 seasons, um, are kind of mirror images when it comes to the barrel rate. So if we're talking about a 9% barrel rate guy, you know, who makes a lot of contact, get hits a few more ground balls, you know, and so the, the batting average goes up, but has the potential to have a higher home run per fly ball rate. I think you're looking at a guy who, you know, is, is, is going to be that five category contributor that folks want. And when I look at, you know, where he is in terms of the projections, you mentioned the projections. I'll mention one thing is the, the bat, um, there is some difference between the steamer and the bat X projection. I know when I had like steamer has him at 270 for batting average, the bat X has him at 278. So that's going to have a significant impact on his value. Um, but with the bat X being the more accurate of the projection systems, at least last year, you know, if we give that a little bit more weight. The projections love him, and I have him as the 16th best player going at an ADP of 19, um, at least on my spreadsheet. I know that may not be the case recently because he's pushing up, 
Um, no, he's at 20. So he's at 20. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, getting a value at that point in the draft with a guy who can contribute in those five categories, I think is, is huge. So I like Albies a lot. I have not drafted him yet. I think that that is a, a big mistake I'm making that hopefully I will have a chance to, uh, to, uh, what, it, what is it when you make a remedy. mistake, what do you do? Remedy, remedy or yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like basically fix, make right. But remedy. yeah, exactly. Um, it's one of those though. It's, it depends on where you've been drafting. I don't know where you've been drafting. Like I've pretty much been like, it feels like seven through 10. Most of the time I've had an occasional like third or fourth pick, but most times seven through 10. So Albies just falls right in that range where you're just like sitting there. And if you get sniped on Albies there, I get very angry. Cause like I, I've almost planned for that coming back that way, but hasn't happened every time because I don't have him in every league. I'll tell you that much. But uh, when I can grab him uh, at that second pick, it's a very good feeling to say the yeah. least because it's just a comfort thing. If you know anything can go wrong, but if I can even even if he gets twenty home runs, I love the twenty steals, the average, the runs. That, that lineup is going to be so good still with Acuna coming back. Hopefully they re-sign Freddie Freeman like he needs to be in Atlanta Brave. Uh, you have Marcelo Zuna coming back. You got a lot of offense coming to that lineup that. Um, it's gonna he's gonna be a big run producer again. So big, big fan of Ozzy Albies. The next second baseman off the board around pick 30 is Whit Merrifield. So now this is where it gets interesting. Second baseman, it's always like you have a couple really good ones, then you have some question marks. Then you got a couple good ones, then you got some question marks. It's a really odd position. Whit Merrifield is that question mark to me. Like I love Whit in years past. If you guys listen to the show, big Whit fan. Also didn't have to pay pick 30 for Whit Merrifield. Um, he's 33 years old, coming off 40 stolen bases, 10 home runs. I think the power is kind of what we're getting. Like he's not going to be that 19 home run guy we saw in 2017 anymore. Um, he's got 20 or more steals in four of the last five years. He had 12 last year in a shortened season, so probably would have 20 more plus again. So steals will be there. Power's kind of not. So where you're taking, though, at that 2-3 turn, you're probably wanting power still. That's the issue. Like, Are you willing to sacrifice that power for steals? That's the question. Where do you sit on Whit Merrifield? Yeah. I mean, I think he's really nice. Um, I mean, he's kind of like, you know, exactly what you're getting with Merrifield. And so if you've taken a starting pitcher in the first round, you know, and, and the thing about Merrifield, and I think he, we saw this happen last year as well. I think he's not, he's not sexy, right? He's yep. not like us. He's not like our voice at all. Yep. He's not like that at all. He, you know, he's kind of a known quantity. He's a compiler you know, both in terms of the, of the steals, but then also like just runs, he gets 700 plus plate appearances every year. And so a lot of times the younger guys or the guys that are viewed as having more ceiling or don't have that clear weakness in terms of power, you know, those guys end up getting pushed up. You know, last year it was Luis Robert, it was Kyle Tucker, it was that group of folks. And Wit kind of ends up finishing in like kind of the mid thirties, the mid to late thirties. Um, in drafts. And I think he's, he's just, the, he's exactly the same guy. I think that he's been, you know, in the past, a little bit of a dip in his, um, uh, in his Babbitt compared to career average can explain, you know, why his batting average was lower, you know, but even the 277 in 720 plate appearances, that's really helping your batting average considerably. I think he could easily be higher than that. You know, the contact rate is still elite. The play discipline is fine. Um, he continues to just hit line drives, you know, like a lot of line drives. He's one of those guys that can consistently hit in pretty high line drive rates on a consistent basis, which isn't a ton of guys. Like you mentioned, Freddie Freeman, you know, as one of them. And I think for him too, there's a little bit of pop still, you know, he only had the 10 home runs last year, but he did have 20 barrels. 
So he just has, he's has so many plate appearances. So he had 20 barrels last year, you know, even though his barrel rate was 3.5%. So if three quarters of them or 60% of those go for home runs, you're looking at 12 to 14, 12 to 15 home runs, you know, which I think is well within his ability. And he continues to be able to steal. And until there, you start to see some issues with him being given the green light to run or him, you know, not being able to steal um, as consistently or as successfully. I think you just kind of put him in there and you get those 25 to 30 steals a year and, and it's golden because it really sets your team up with that batting average and that stolen base floor later on. You, it gives you a lot more flexibility. And again, this is a guy you can grab in the third round. So if you're like me and you like pitching and let's say you go pocket, pocket aces, you can get grab wit as your first hitter and you've already got your 30 stole steals. You've already got your, your relatively high um, foundation, you know, on batting average. So I, I like Witt a lot. I think he's a guy that I'll probably end up with a lot of because I will, will go pitching heavy and then I'll be looking for those stolen bases and the batting average in the third round. Yeah. It fits that. It fits that kind of build for sure. Um, like you said, as long as you're good with the, the power and you can get your power later, which more often than not, you can, it's great. The only concern I have with Whit Merrifield, and again, I have no problem if you want to draft with Merrifield. As you mentioned, the plate appearances, like he's playing 158 or more games. Like he's he's reliant on the volume. Like you said, he's an accumulator. So it's one of those, if just, God forbid, like even a one IL stint, that could drop him down to like a, a totally different animal type thing. So that's my only concern with women Merrifield, but you can have the concern with anybody, like the grand scheme of things. But that's my only caveat with him is he's not young. He's getting older. And um, the other thing is, what are the Royals doing? Like they, they've been trying to trade him the last couple of years. At the price, like he's cheap, so it's got to be a heck of a deal to trade him. But they've listened to offers, and so that's also another thing with Whit Merrifield. But if you want steals early, like you said, for the, the team context of that you're building, it makes sense. I can see that for sure. All right, a uh, person that we have a lot of questions about later on, and a person that's a conundrum too many in drafts is Marcus Simeon. And Marcus Simeon coming off a monster year, he's currently going at pick forty three, forty four. Right now in 15 teamers, 45 homers, 15 stolen bases, 265. He's had back-to-back just great full seasons, 2019, 2021. Um, and, and it's been awesome. And I guess that big deal with Texas. I still think he's going to be very good. He's not going to be that good, though. He's going to a, a tougher ballpark to hit in. He's going to a lineup where you might not need to be pitched to as often because Toronto's one thing, Texas is another. Um, and then just having the ability to drive guys in won't be as probably as probably often as in Toronto. So there's just so many little things that he's still going to have a great season. If he was like round eight, Marcus Simeon, like he's been in years past. Awesome. But um, now you're talking what three, four turn. And that becomes a little more pricey, especially if you didn't go pitching early, you're probably going pitching. If you went pitching early, you might be going more like Aaron judge or Tyler O'Neill or something along those lines. Like there's so many other things that take place. So I have zero shares of Marcus Simeon and it's not that I don't think he's a good ball player. Again, team fit overall regression. I'm out on Marcus Simeon. Yeah. I mean, uh, another compiler, you know, he's got 700 plate appearances in three consecutive full seasons, you know, which really helps a lot of those totals a lot. Yeah. I think, I think the story for Simeon for me too, I'm not really interested at uh, the ADP right now um, either. Um, I think you mentioned some of the contextual changes for Simeon, which I actually think are a pretty big deal. Um, for him, I think the, the stadium being a lot more difficult, 
him likely bat hitting first or second in a lineup that's not going to be as good or as deep. I mean, the the Rangers are going to have a very top heavy lineup, you know, with Seager and Semyon up there, but coming around the backside of that lineup is going to be pretty gnarly. Um, so again, you know, losing a little bit of value just from the contextual factors. And then I think last year, I mean, then we look at like just the overall, like regression is going to hit type stuff. So 45 home runs last year on 50 barrels, that's entirely unsustainable. I mean, that means that he's, yeah, that's a 90% barrel rate. And I think a lot of that had to do with where he was playing. Right. Um, and I think we saw that with a lot of blue Jays with Dunedin, like, just really carrying offensively a lot of them, which is not to say that they weren't still tremendous and, and brilliant, but um, that was certainly a benefit for him. Although the one thing I'll say to Simeon's credit is he is a guy who hits a lot of fly balls and he pulls a lot of those fly balls and he does that pretty consistently. So I don't think it's going to be a massive drop off. Like we're not going to be at like 20 or 25, something like that. But I do think, you know, with the projections having him around 30, it's about a 15 homer drop from last year. It's still going to be pretty substantial. Yeah, it, it, it really should be. I mean, it should be a substantial drop there and that obviously impacts the counting stats. Um, it's also going to impact the batting average a little bit because, you know, when you go from that 18.4% home run to five ball rate to something closer to his career average, you know, around 13%, then a lot of those fly balls aren't just not home runs. They're also outs. And so that's going to hit him a little bit on the batting average front. So you're not getting the high batting average. The home runs are fine. You know, the, there's going to be a little bit of a hit to those counting stats. And I think the stolen base is another big one, right? He set a career high last year at the age of 31, uh, 30, 31 for his stolen bases, which is always surprising to see because we know, as a skill that that generally is something that doesn't age well. But remember, he did that in 724 plate appearances. He was also perfect, I think, in stolen bases or pretty close. He was 15 out of 16. And while that's really good, you know, that's not something that you can do on a, on a sustainable level. So he'll get caught stealing a couple times. You know, um, he's older. He might be a little bit slower. And so I think the problem is when people start saying, oh, he's going to the Rangers, they're going to give him the green light all the time. You know, um, so he's going to see an increase in stolen bases. If a guy already has his his career high and he's gotten a year older and he's just signed a huge contract, to me, that kind of screams probably not going to set a new high in terms of stolen bases. So again, you know, you're dropping that down a little bit. So is like 255... 30 or 35 home runs, you know, 90 and 80 and 10. Is that like a good season? You know, that's a really solid season. It's a really good season, but like the batting average and the stolen bases just aren't going to be enough of carrying tools for me to, to go with semi at this point in the draft at least. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. So it's just tough. He's going to be good. Not uh three, four turn. Good. That's that's the problem uh, for where he's going. Just for the listeners at home that might uh, not remember or might not know, it's roughly like what fifty eight to sixty percent of barrels equate to home runs is what the the, the stat is, I believe. So when we say when we say he hit almost ninety percent of his barrels for home runs, it's a quite the quite the drop off there. So yeah, yeah. I'll I'll actually run the numbers just so we have an exact percentage. I saw because um, I know it's fluctuated le- yeah. uh, league to league. So I'll check that out right now. Okay, yeah, I saw that um, tweeted out. But while Toby's checking that out, mm-hmm. the um, fifth second baseman off the board 
is one Javier Baez, who I'm a huge fan of going around pick 63 right now. Javi obviously is in Detroit now, so that should hamper him a bit. But the average, I think, is going to stay legit because it's just what he does. And if anything, that ba- that ballpark will enhance his average, if anything, because uh, it might take away some home runs. But 31 home runs last year. He's got 29 or more in three full seasons. Uh, he stole 18 bags last year. He's, he's pretty much good for double-digit steals, probably 25 to 30 home runs, even in this ballpark. Because he's to me, it's one of those guys, he doesn't hit like wall scrapers. He hits no doubters. And that's that's the difference. He like. Bigger ballparks hamper different types of people. It'll hit, it'll get him, but he'll still get his. Um, I'm still a big hobby bias fan. I think the Detroit lineup's gonna be better than usual. Obviously, it's not Chicago. I get all of the concerns, but and I don't have any hobby bias this year because he's going earlier than in years past. I used to love him because of the discount that he was. I think he's still gonna be a very good player. I'd rather have hobby bias than Marcus Simeon, but that's just me. But um, I might be biased as well. So. What's your thoughts on hobby bias? Because most think it's a massive uh, down downswing going to Detroit. Um, I am about to, I'm, um, let's see, five, nine, five, nine, four, four. Remember that Bubba. Sorry. Four, four, five, nine, four, four. Here we go. Five, nine, four, four equals. Oh, did I do it the right? I did it wrong the wrong way. Five, nine, four, 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 four divided by the number of barrels. Sorry, guys. I know this is like really riveting stuff right here, but I need to know this. Nine, six, three, four. Nine, six, three, four equals. Yeah. So 61.7% of barrels went for home runs. Essentially. Like that's the number of home runs divided by the number of barrels, which is generally what we think about. So, you know, again, Marcus Semien, high end of that with 90, 90%. Yeah. Pretty um, wild. Yeah. So just something to, to think about and people will have different ones, obviously, but at the extremes is what we're, is what we're really um, looking for. Yeah. So with Javi um, and I apologize, I was a little um, trying to do math and, and work <laughs> my computer with this big old mic in front of my face, but I'm, I was so surprising to see like Baez's line you know 31 home run and 18 stolen bases and 547 plate appearances last year is actually like rather incredible mm-hmm. and then when you look at his batting average which i think is something that we're all concerned about just because of the plate approach like it's always you know like always been good yeah like, or at like, least respectable at least like 273 it's... 273 290 281 265 with that 203 yeah. from 2020 in there but again we all know that he he goes on streaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he just happened to be on, on the downside of one of those. Um, so when I look at Baez, you know, it's really hard to, you know, um, it's hard to like, look at his metrics, like just cause they're always awful, right? Like mm-hmm. the contact rates at 62%, which is awful. The O swings at 47%, which is awful. But we also know that he's swinging among like the most of any player, and so while the, the K percentage is going to be relatively high, it's also going to be, um, uh, you know, it's going to be lower than you would anticipate with like the swinging strike rate, just because he has such a high swing percentage. Um, you know, the ground ball rate has been down for two consecutive years. He's only got that one season where he had 50%. Outside of that, it's been in the mid forties, which is nice for him. Um, the 352 Babbitt, you know, from last year is a little bit elevated. So maybe he gets hurt a little bit, um, right there, you know, so the batting average, I think is like the biggest concern that you have. 
know, in terms of steals, like the guy should continue to steal. He's been successful. He does it a lot. The Tigers are going to try to manufacture some runs. I assume they wouldn't have signed him if they didn't want to kind of use his best qualities, which includes his ability to uh, steal bases. You know, 43 barrels last year, you know, is really nice. So he's right around that 75% in terms of his barrels to home run. So he gets hurt a little bit. You mentioned this. I mean, with the stadium and the fact that he hits a lot of balls to dead center, I do think that he could find himself in a little bit of Nick Castellanos territory and Miggy territory where you see him have a ton of barrels to dead center that end up either being doubles or fly outs, which I think is going to be a little bit frustrating. So I ding his, I ding his, um, his home runs just like a little bit, which I think a lot of the projections are doing as well. The bad X does do ballparks. That's why I, I like that bad X for him. And it, it's the once the biggest difference between the rest of them for the power. Yeah. So it yeah, makes a so lot of 26, sense. 27, but I mean, again, like 27 home runs, 14 stolen bases is the projection from the bat, you know, even steamer at 26, 13, you know, that's really nice, especially since, you know, I feel like he's going, a lot later than you would usually have to yeah, pick six, you know, to get him. He's at pick 63, but his min pick during that period of time is 44 and his yeah, max pick is that. 82. So he's got That'd one of the awesome. higher variances between picks. And I think that's where I would kind of view him as like, if he falls towards the back end of that range, then I kind of like it. If yeah. he falls towards, you know, the front end of that range, I'm not as interested yep. in him, you know? Um, but like, seriously, we talked, just talked about Marcus Semyon. you know, when you combine the home runs of, and stolen bases of Baez and Semyon, you're probably looking at a fairly similar total, right? Mm -hmm. About 45 for the two of them, you know, 40 to 45. And so then you get down to the batting average piece and then it's like, well, you know, I think there's reasons to like either one. And so for me, Baez represents the better value in that equation or perceived value, I guess. Um, more so than Semyon. So I, I think at cost, I, I would I would go him more. But, you know, there's some pluses and minuses there, I think, as there always is in Baez's profile. Yeah, and the one thing I, tell you, I always admit, because people want to remind me every time, because I've always been a pro-Baez guy, is with that profile, like you mentioned, and I, I, I admit it's an ugly profile. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, it's what you don't want to see, is when it goes bad, it's going to go really bad. And that's the one thing. Like, it's not going to be like a, a rough little, oh, it's going to go bad. It's like what you saw in 2020. That's, that's what you could get. I'm not, probably not for a whole season, but one of these years it will. And that's going to be like, Ugh. but that's the breaks. Cause at the same time, he's kind of discounted for that reason. I think if people were more confident in his approach, he would be like the, he'd be higher up. Cause if you look at his overall stat line, like it's pretty close to Ozzy Albies outside the batting average. Like, there's a lot of similarities going on there, but. There's so much like caution when it comes to, to, to Javi Baez, not to mention the ballpark to, to top it off. So it's a, it's an interesting guy. He's one of those kind of risky picks, but you're not having to pay a premium for him. So that's pretty nice as well. All right. The next player off the board, another risky pick, another topic of conversation. The sixth second baseman off the board going around pick 73. Happy birthday, Jazz. Today is his birthday, which is only fitting. Oh, wow. Happy which birthday. Is, which is only fitting because he is pretty much uh, – one of my favorite second basemen of the draft. I've taken a lot of flack for this. I have a lot of shares of, of Jazz Chisholm, but I am a huge believer in Jazz. And um, I know he, another bad hit profile, like we talked about, but he only struck out 28.6% of the time last year, like Javi Baez continually 33% plus. 
hit 248, 18 homers, 23 steals. What I love about uh, Jazz Chisholm, as you get towards the back end of like the 75 to 100 pick range, is when you're like potential five category guys are really starting to dry up. Jazz has that potential. Like his batting average could be in question. If he could somehow hit 240 to 250, I'm over the moon. If he gets higher than that, we're great. But this is a legit 2020 candidate. Like they're going to play him every single day. They don't have a reason not to. Um, he had one major, like not major, but one actual like hamstringy type injury. He had one, he was on a COVID IL once and he had another reaction to the, the vaccines. So people see those and they say, oh, he's injury prone. He's on the IL. He didn't, the whole thing was not your normal IL stints. I'm going to clarify that real quick. I am very defensive. I get it. This is my guy, but um, I want to clarify that one because I've heard he's too injury prone and that's just not true. Um, but the swing profile is very disgusting. I 100% admit that. This kid's young. He's improved every season when the power department because he's young. And I think you're still going to see more improvements. It's kind of an Ozzy Albies light potentially. And if he ever figures out the batting average thing, he could be your next Ozzy Albies. So big fan of uh, of Jazz Chisholm where you're getting him. And he's going higher than he used to go at one point in time. But he's kind of been stuck in that 70-ish range. So that's where I'm at. You can tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. But Jazz, is, uh, he's one of my dudes. No, I've been kind of up and down on Jazz. I think earlier in the in the season, I was higher on him and kind of gone down a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if I was a little bit higher on him as draft season approaches. You know, the thing about Jazz is you mentioned like the plate discipline, but, you know, after coming at a guy like Javi Baez, you look at uh, Jazz's O-swing and I'll give his career numbers just because we, we, we have a smaller sample. So in 20, 2020 and 2021, which is 569 plate appearances. His O swing is 32.5%. Very reasonable, right? Higher than league average, but very reasonable. His contact rate is at 73.5%. Again, very reasonable, not quite at at league average, which is around 75%, 74.5%, somewhere around there for the contact rate. You know, O swing on average is around like 30.5% or so for, for the majors. You know, so slightly worse on both of those, but not nearly as erratic as some of some of the profiles that we're going to see throughout baseball. And and also, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap in that in that particular um, instance. And I also see uh, ways that he can grow. Right. So he makes a decent amount of contact, you know, for having the level of speed that he has and for being new at baseball. I mean, remember, the guy is he's just turned 24. You mentioned it's his birthday today. Uh, love it. You know, the Euro step is, is a beautiful yeah. celebration, but you know, his career ground ball rate is at 47.5%. So if he'd be able to bring that down just a little bit, you can see him unlocking the power, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, the batting average is going to be the biggest issue with the K rate as high as it is, but it also is higher than it should be based on his contact rate. So I don't know if he's taking a lot of third, third strikes. I'm not sure what the situation is. Maybe he's a three, two count guy. Maybe he's a three, two. Ooh, should we like investigate that? We should do let's that do every it. single. Let's do it. We're going to investigate this. I, hey, this doesn't like jazz, make sense. Jazz. For a guy like jazz. I'm in for a guy like jazz. All right. So for those of you following along, so we're going to go to the splits tab on fan graphs. We're going to go to splits tool. We're going to go show all filters. And then we're going to go in counts. We're going to go check out how he did three, two, you know, let's see. So, he had a 38.8% strikeout rate. 10% more than And he had a 19.4% K rate. So his K minus rock rate was essentially negative 10. 
It was negative 10 for him. So, you know, both of those numbers were worse than they were in 2020. But again, we're looking at a small sample. So now let's go to the league averages. So he was negative 10%. And you'd expect him maybe to be a little bit worse than league average because he's a little bit worse at striking out and a little bit worse um, at um, at, at uh, play discipline um, as well. So we're going to do the same thing except for the full league. And we're going to do MLB, batting, splits, advanced, and we're going to go to count three, two. Hold your breath. Let's see what we got here. K minus walk rate. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> For MLB, 31.8% walk, 27.5% K. So, so again, good. I'm not how sure ex- how extreme Jazz's numbers are, right? Because we haven't been yeah. able to fully identify his, you know, kind of what his personal K minus walk rate is. But uh, this is the first time I just smacked my mic because it's right in, in front of my face. You did pretty good, almost 40 uh, minutes. So it's pretty good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But um, so maybe there's a little bit of to gain there, you know, for Jazz because I think like when you look at his. You know, the max EV is nice. And I know we all talk about like how, you know, Matt, there's like this ongoing debate about how max EV isn't that important, <laughs> but like it tells you something. It tells yeah. you something about power potential. It doesn't tell you as much about consistency. Maybe we can check out what those numbers are consistency wise, but the man had 28 barrels, you know, 8.6% barrel rate, which is really nice. 8.9%, you know, for his career. If you were to apply that, so we have 569 plate appearances for his career. He's got 32 barrels. If we were just to give him 62% of those, my math ain't great, but that's more than 20 home runs, probably more than 20 stolen bases. So the big, the big question is going to be that batting average. 238 for his career. Is he going to improve on that dramatically or not? I don't see a reason why he would get worse, honestly, unless, you know, you know, obviously he struggled towards the second half of last season, but he's also like he had that wrist injury or that hand injury, whatever yeah. it was. So I kind of like Jazz here as like a 2020 guy. If you've solved batting average a little bit or, or you have an idea to solve batting average. And I do think that that's one thing. There are some empty batting average profiles later on in drafts. Yep. You know, so I'd, I'd rather be going after batting average late in drafts than going after speed late in drafts. And so if you find yourself in kind of that predicament, then I think that that Jazz, you know, is, is could be a good you know, a good bet. And I also think that he's a guy like where we could see that non-linear development and just see him take a big step in the batting average department. And then, you know, you're talking a pretty high ceiling there. Yep. Ozzy Albee's light. Like I'm not saying he's going to get that high, yeah. but there's a, there's a lot of similarities I can see in their profiles. Cause there was a time when Ozzy Albee's wasn't this big of a strikeout guy, but he had a lot of holes as well when he was younger. It's what happens with young hitters. It's what they do. You have to adjust. And the one thing is you'll, you won't find on any spreadsheet or any, you know, websites you go to with jazz, but I remember with Dustin Pedroia, jazz has a gigantic chip on his shoulder. So mm. that's one of those things. Like I know it's not the greatest uh, analysis that people care about, but you saw the, the advancements he made this last year. He's cocky with a huge chip on his shoulder. Like he, you listen to his teammates, heard like Seuss Aguilar, Miguel Rojas was on the Chris Rose rotation, like once or twice a month. And he talked about jazz and he said, it's crazy watching his work ethic that you don't see on mm. like, so Anything can happen. It could all just be, you know, talk. But there's a lot to be said for a 24-year-old. I'll, I'll give and him the benefit of the doubt. Remember that Jazz Chisholm 
uh, Zach Gallon trade too. Remember, yes. everybody was like, "Why go after Jazz?" You know, and the, the Marlins are crazy. What are they doing? Trades working Zach out. Gallen. I mean, if yeah. you think about like how those trades have worked out, the Marlins have done spectacularly so much well pitching compared they, to what they yeah, could have been. They've loaded up very nicely, yeah. and they're still not done. I think like once this see lockout thing's done, they've been rumored on a few interesting developments as well. So we'll see how that. Give what if Jesus Lizardo turns into something this year on that Starling Marte deal? That could be wild. Oh. So um, I digress, though. The seventh second baseman off the board in the past, you know, three weeks, Jose Altuve up to pick 78, 79 overall. It felt like when we did the preview, he was closer to 100. It was, uh, he's moving pretty good here. And we talked about it then, and it really doesn't change my opinion now. Um, 31 homers last year at 278, five steals. You're not going to get a ton. You're not going to get the big t- double-digit steal, 15-plus steals that you used to get. Projection sites have him for seven or eight. That's pretty gravy. Uh, 25 home runs seems a lot more reasonable than 30, but still not bad. But average will be good. It's going to score a ton of runs for you. Um, he seems like he's one of those quote unquote kind of safe floor guys that you can get if you're kind of comfortable in certain spots. You mentioned getting batting average at a point in time. This is a great batting average uh, guy to grab. He's going to help you in, in most categories a little bit at least, just not steals. I love Jose Altuve. If it's it's one of those, I have a couple shares, not a ton, but um, if you're kind of just missed on second base, but you don't want to wait too much longer, you want some kind of safe, you can gamble later. Altuve is a great pick for me. Yeah, I agree. Just just super solid. You know, we were all worried after the 2020 season, but we saw him start to pick it up in the postseason then. And I think we even talked about on this show about how if you combine his postseason numbers with his regular season numbers, he starts to look a lot more like the guy, you know, that we've grown to um, to know and in some instances love, depending on how you feel about trash cans and things like that. But, you know, the guy I mean, I think you just you said it. He's super solid, you know, Um I think from last year, the home runs are are higher than I think I would expect for him to have. You know, the ground ball rate was a career low by a significant amount. So I expect some regression there, which will bring the home run total down. But that will also lift the the, the batting average um, total up a little bit there. So I think that 270, you know, the projections have him between 274 and 286. You know, I think we're probably likely to get closer to that 286 number there than we are you know, to the 274. So I like him there. I think the steals are, are too high. You know, that projection of eight, you know, five last year, six in 2019. I'd be you happy know, he had five. two in 2020. So he was on pace for about six as well. So I think that's a little high and that, that colors the projections a little bit because he's, he's one of the better values at second base, just in terms of projection versus rank. You know, he's ranked 64th on my spreadsheet at about $18. You know, ADP of, I think you mentioned 72. I have him as 75 on my spreadsheet. So, you know, a value right there. So, yeah, I really like Altuve a lot. If you kind of want to go safe and boring, I do think the one challenge with him is that lack of speed. So with a lot of the second baseman we talk about, you know, the only reason why Jazz and Altuve are kind of in the conversation is those 20 plus stolen bases from, from Jazz. And that's a lot. And it's significant here because as I mentioned, you can make up batting average a little bit later in drafts. Uh, I think better than you can with speed, just because it won't hurt you um, as much with some of the guys that are that are available later on. Yeah, that's the biggest thing with Altuve. As long as you got your speed taken care of, you're good. Um, like if you're one of those big shortstops early, I think Altuve is a great second base option. Stuff like that. 
if you're in need of uh, stolen bases, that's like you said, that's kind of what's made Altuve drop because that's kind of what makes Baez go, Chisholm go. Like it just makes them kind of get that extra bump is that stolen base upside because every year, you know, people talk about it throughout the season or later in the season that, oh, my batting average is this, my bat, like because everyone's so focused on stolen bases in the draft. And then you go back and look at a guy like, I could have taken Altuve and almost like not worried a whole lot about average because he's got such a especially with you know common average now being like 245 250 like his 285 is just going to be that much better than it used to be that kind of makes things really really nice so i i like how to be a lot it's a guy that we've talked about it before there's, there's a lot of boring picks right now that you're getting a pretty good price tags if you're good accepting the boringness of it it's not too shabby all right the eighth second baseman off the board around pick 81 right now is tommy edmund i'm i'm Honestly, surprised he's still getting this much love. And again, it's got to be the stolen bases. That's pretty much the 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 deal with it here. Thirty steals last year, had eleven home runs, uh, scored ninety one runs, hit two sixty two. Like the average is okay, it's not great, but it's good. It's it's all about the steals when it comes to Tommy Edmond. But um, I feel like we might have saw a ceiling season last year. And I'm I'm concerned about that. Like he's good, but is he is he good enough to repeat this at pick eighty eighty one? Yeah, Edmund Edmund is really interesting. I think there's like a lot, there's a lot going on there for him um, in my mind. So I think there's a lot of areas where he could have some positive regression. Like, you know, the BABIP was at 291. It was the lowest that he had had. You know, I mean, he doesn't have a long career, but his BABIP over the course of 1,200 plus plate appearances is 308. He was at 291. So that hits him a little bit in the batting average department as well as the OBP. You know, he doesn't walk a lot. He doesn't have great plate discipline right around league average, slightly worse than that. Contact rate is much better than league average, you know, so he makes a lot of contact, puts the ball in plays, play, but doesn't walk a lot. So his OBP isn't super high. And so one of the major questions I think heading into the season, and it'll be interesting in spring training to see where he hits because he could very easily be at the, at the top of that lineup, you know, or if there's a change in philosophy with the new manager, he could also easily be towards the back end of that lineup because the OBP isn't necessarily as strong as what you would expect from a traditional, you know, kind of leadoff hitter, although he does, you know, um, steal bases uh, as is clear with the 30 from last year. And with that, you know, he's able to turn those singles into doubles, those walks into doubles. So that I think is going to be a major question around his value, but you know, so there's a little bit of positive regression, I think in the batting average, I think it should be a little bit higher. I think the projections agree with that. And then with the power, you know, he had 11 home runs last year, but he did have 24 barrels. So we, if we use the rule that about two-thirds of barrels should be home runs, you know, you're looking at a guy that could easily have had 16 last year, you know, instead of the 11. And a 16-30 and 30 season is a very, very different season, you know, than an 11-30 and uh, 30 season. Now, the projections don't buy into the power as much. You know, they're kind of lower down, but the speed is real. Um, he's got multi-position uh, eligibility with the second base, you know, with the outfield. So I think there's some things to really like in the profile and reasons to think that he could be better. However, if there is any concern around where he's going to hit in the lineup, you know, after spring training, or there's indication that he's not going to be in leadoff, I think that really could negatively impact his value at the same token. Like if it negatively impacts his ADP sufficiently enough, hitting at the back end of the lineup, especially in one that will have a DH means that you may see more stolen bases. So there's like a little, there's, there's so many dynamics, I think at work with admin, it's really hard to pin down what that value is. I think it could be really high. 
I think it could be lower than it's going right now. So I think where he's going seems fairly reasonable in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think it's – I, I had a lot of Edmund last year, so I can't, like, complain. It was awesome because I needed steals, and he was a great source. So maybe that's what it is. You know, people are in need of steals, so you kind of move them up the board because I'm I'm not – I, I agree with the, the barrel should have computed to more power. I think that ballpark gets him good. St. Louis is not the friendliest of ballparks. So I think that's one of those – you know, we talked about Detroit, but – when you see Javi Baez, it's like no doubt or central. When you see Edmund, and I could be wrong, I'm totally speculating. I'll, I'll look at it later when you when you're talking about uh, the next player. But it feels like just his power profile doesn't scream bombs. It's just it's just not what he does. So, it'd be interesting to see where Edmund goes. Like I don't fault anybody for taking him at all. He, if he steals the way he stole last year, it's awesome. He's going to score a ton of runs. It's off that order. There's no doubt about that. Especially if his batting average improves, like you said. There, there's a lot of love to have there. That's going to be great. So if you want something like that, maybe he's like a, a cheaper Whit Merrifield when in the grand scheme of things, when it's all said and done. He could be your cheaper Whit Merrifield. So, and that's that's a legit possibility. And that's something to think about when it comes to Tommy Edmond uh, leading things off there for St. Louis. Bubba, yes. some good news, some bad news. Yes. You're, the good news for you, you're absolutely right on the home and, and away. He had nine home runs away from home last year, only two, two at home. So very much, you know, away being the power. I will say, though, surprisingly, he has a 113-mile-per-hour max exit below. So again, he's probably a guy who has a higher max exit below than he has consistently hitting the ball um, in the air with authority, but at least tells you that there might be like a, a slight bit this is, more this is where I, this is where i want to see the final analysis of chris clegg's work he's doing because he'll tell us like, I mean, he'll this tell is a us really that good answer. resource he'll, he'll tell, tell us the answer it. yeah because i talked to chris and he's actually going to come on the show the second he's done with it all that's what i'm waiting for i got him mm. coming on um nice. i told i thought him wait till you're done because he's got he's deciphering everything he's gonna write an article on and all this stuff but he's tweeted out a bunch of stuff for it if you haven't seen it yet and um he you really should check it out because he's going to um like we talk about max exit velo and yeah, Toby mentioned like it's not the end all be all. There's like kind of discussions on it, and the reason why it's a great discussion is, um, you know, it's your max exit velo. How often do you do that? What what's your like your consistent max exit velo? If that makes sense, like what's your mm. what range are you consider? Are you consistently 96 miles an hour? Are you consistently 91 miles an hour? Even though your max is 113, because that'll give you a better idea of what you're consistently hitting. And Chris is on Twitter at Roto Clegg, C L E G G. Um, so check that out. But uh, he's done a lot of great work on that with some with some other contributors and he's deciphering everything. And I'm just curious because the stuff he's put out makes a lot of sense because you talk about certain players that, you know, Edmund's a great candidate. I'm really curious now to see what he looks like, because maybe he is a guy that he's got that hard max exit field. Maybe it's more on the ground when he does that. Then and that's why he gets like infield singles or bases through the hole. And that can make things really interesting to kind of tell the story of the guys pick. Statcast stats are awesome. We talk about it all the time. All there's supposed to talk about it. It's a phenomenal resource. But every stat has holes. And this For is sure. a great way to kind of try to fill those holes a little bit to kind of fine-tune things. And um, if it's as good as it seems like it's going to be, some website's going to pay for that thing because it'll it'll basically it'll fine-tune things in a big, big way. So yeah, I'm it's, it's a really nice, nice resource. Um, so. I wonder what league average is. I don't know what league average is for the different percentiles. I have Edmund gonna... up right here. His 99th yeah. percentile is 107.3. His 95th is 104.4. Four. 
his 90th is 102 and his 85th is 100.4. So I'm just curious, like what league average would be there? Cause theoretically, like what, what you'd kind of base this on is like, okay, you know, his home run per fly ball rate should be consistent essentially with like his percentile of, you know, of exit velocity on like five, five balls and line drives yeah. or something like that. Right. You know, not exactly because each guy's going to be different. We know that each guy, like the ball carries differently, but it would be kind of interesting. I'm just going to check out, you know, his exit velocity on line drives and fly balls and see kind of where he fits overall. So he's 121st. Yeah. Out of 132, 121st out of 132 on that 90.5. So, you know, maybe it is a situation where, you know, those barrels to use like, you know, Alex Chamberlain lingo are like, they're not blasts. They're just barrels, you know? Yeah. That's um, like the dynamic hard hit rate and stuff that could all play into that kind of deal. Like it's, it's interesting. There's too much. Yeah. That's so much going that's what, on. I love all but, the great work people do, but man. <laughs> but the analysis that, that people came here for is, Tommy Edmond will hit 30 home runs because his max exit velocity is 113. And similar players with a- max exit velos of 113 hit that many home runs. So I've got Ma- I've got Edmond as a 30-40 guy this year. I will have him in Book all of my it. drafts. Book it. But yeah, Just no, I'm curious. No, I'm curious to see where it goes. He's also What's a- his career barrels? He's got 44 barrels and he's got 27 home runs. That's so- over 50%. That's close. Yeah. To, that's close to that sixty percent threshold you're talking I know, about. Oh, I know. It's right there. Man, making decisions is hard, guys. Twenty-seven divided by forty-four is what I said, right? Yeah, that's sixty-one point three percent. That's like just about right. That's right. That's like last year's right number. there. Yeah. So, you know. Anyways, this is all to say that Tommy Edmond is an incredibly com- complex individual. He is an enigma, a fantasy uh, enigma. Just, so many moving parts to Tommy Edmond. He's even a switch hitter. So I don't yeah. know if we want to do like max EV 90th left, percentile left breakdowns race. of right versus left or like what, but there's just so, so much going on with Tommy Edmonds. It seems like where he's going seems about right. Yeah, exactly. seems about <laughs> right. Um, the ninth second baseman off the board. This is one I've already admitted. I've been wrong on. I've already drafted him a couple times. He's at pick 82. And that is Brandon Lau of the Tampa Bay Rays. 39 home runs last year, seven stolen bases, hit 247, 97 runs, 99 RBIs. The projections love him for 30 plus home runs, handful of steals again, similar batting average. So if you're if you can accept the batting average, my biggest concern was always playing time in Tampa Bay. He got it last year. He got 56 games in the 60 game season. He got 149 last year. Uh, if he can give you 140 plus, I think he's worth every bit of this draft pick and potentially a higher draft pick. Like if for some reason. You went pitching early, then you went like Whit Merrifield or something. Um, I the power that Lau brings to you from second base of all positions, tremendous. Yeah, for sure. And I think we talked about him in kind of some of the review pods, just about how we have been wrong in previous seasons. And I think he's shown now pretty consistently with his performance, two fifty five career average and thirteen hundred plate appearances you know, that, you know, the batting average is less of a concern than it needs to be. I think the biggest thing, you know, as we've been mentioning before, is just about your team build. Again, the batting average isn't going to be good, right? He's not going to hurt you a lot, or as much as we might anticipate, most likely. So it's really like the, and, and the, and the speed is a little bit, but it's not like a lot. And so just as like, as a kind of an example of, of how 
the scarcity of categories impacts things. So Brandon Lau's, you know, projection is essentially like, let's just give the bad X is five ninety hundred ninety four plate appearances, 246, 30 home runs, six stolen bases, 80 runs and 86 RBI. Right. So whatever you think about that, that projection, think about that projection, but that's one projection. And then Tommy Edmonds was um, just getting it out. The bad X has him at 269, 11 home runs, 78 runs, 59 RBI, and 23 stolen bases. So fewer home runs by a lot. Fewer runs by a lot. Fewer RBIs by RBI by a lot. But a higher batting average and higher stolen bases. In my projection, in my projections, Tommy Edmond is ranked 88th, going at an ADP of 78. Brandon Lau is ranked 99th, going at an ADP of 82. So neither of them are a quote-unquote value compared to my ranks versus ADP. But you can just see how, even though the, you look at the lines and you're kind of like, I like that Lau line, like it's big, you know? But like when you get down to it, that batting average and the stolen bases can carry a much lower line when it comes to the run runs, the RBI and the home runs. And so that's just a kind of like to illustrate how much we do need to be focusing on, on batting average and stolen bases early, because the reason why those, those middle categories, the runs RBI home run are less valuable is because there's less of a difference between the top end guys and the lower end guys than there are in, um, you know, in, in, in the, the two scarce categories. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. It's definitely a team, team build situation. Like if you need power, I love Brandon Lau on the spot, but like you mentioned, batting average stolen bases, it's a, it's a thing that gets talked about a lot. And for good reasons, as your projection model uh, spits it out for you pretty clearly, actually that it, cause uh, on paper, if you had to just say Brandon Lau or Tommy Edmonds, like you said, looking at the two lines, I'd say most people want Brandon Lau. Just gonna throw it out there. Like I, I might throw that uh, that poll out there later on, just to get an idea. Because I'm pretty sure most would see those those projection lines. I want the 39 home runs, close to 100, 100. I want that, and uh, it's gonna be interesting. Like you said, you spit them out, and you have them roughly like what, 15 to 20 picks apart on your on your projection deal, and that that's interesting. So definitely interesting. All right, the tenth and final second baseman on this portion of the podcast. Uh, going around pick, uh, oh, well, I, when I did this last night, he was 10th. He's been jumped, but we're going to go with him anyways. He's, Ooh, he's been jumped? To, he's now 11th? Yeah, by point uh, by point two seven eighty by By Marte? <laughs> uh, by Polanco. We're talking Marte. I had Marte when I did this last night. Oh, you yeah. did. You did. Yeah. Polanco jumped him. Huh. So Jorge we're going to stick Polanco. with Polanco. Yeah, we're going to stick with Cartel Marte because we got Jorge Polanco to talk okay. about later, anyways. Okay. But um, Cartel Marte going around pick uh, eighty-eight now, the eleventh off the board. We're going to talk about it, about about him at ten, coming off a rough year. You know, he had 318, 14 homers, two steals, and ninety games. Played forty-five games the year before, one forty-four, one fifty-three. So he's been banged up a lot, but still been playing well. In two thousand nineteen, we saw the thirty-two home runs. That's what everyone's been dreaming about. It's just been hard coming back to that Cartel Marte form, but the Bad average you can plug in to be pretty solid in recent years. You just want that power to return. It's a lot of questions, though. And he's been such a hard one for me to pick because we know what the ceiling is, but we've seen a lot of the floor lately, too. Yeah, he's a tough one for me. 
Um, because I, I just, I like the profile so much, but I never find myself really drafting him, you know? So it's like, you know, um, and part of it is the injury, but like, is he really like, is he, you know, it's one of those, like, is he really injury prone or like, you know, did he just essentially have like, you know, last season and the shortened season, which don't we just like kind of throw that out or whatever. Yeah. I think the challenge with Marte is I'm not sure what the, the, the upside on the stolen on the steals is, you know, like he just, you know, he's had 10, one year and 11, one year, but they're kind of in the back, in the background at this point, you know, he's not going to have a lot of motivation. I don't think to steal. I think the D backs just want to keep him healthy, potentially trade him somewhere. You know, the batting average is obviously, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, he does not strike out a lot. He makes really strong quality of contact. The projections love him in terms of batting average, 289 to 292, essentially. So if he plays, he's going to get that really good batting average. He's going to be able to contribute home runs. So if you're in a position where you, you've you addressed steals earlier in the draft, you know, in those first five rounds or whatever, you know, and, and Marte could be really, really nice. Although even I, I would say it's really hard to address all your speed that early on because you just need you just need to continue to hammer, hammer home um, on it. But... You know, then I think that he's a really nice fit. If you don't have the stolen bases worked out, then it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a challenge, right? And so in that particular instance, maybe Edmund is the guy that you want more, you know, than you want Marte. But if batting average is really what you need to carry, then you go with him, you know. But either way, it's a really nice line. I think this whole group of kind of second baseman and shortstop, middle infielders going in this pocket, I think they're all like different profiles and they're all find where they're going and it's just a matter of what suits your your team needs more um and with Marte, i mean i think there's a lot to like there my only concern is the lack of the lack of steals yeah i'm not counting on many steals at all with him like you you mentioned but like the power projections around the low 20s like honestly if he gets going again i was looking at his home road splits and arizona is a succubus of a ballpark for uh for like babbitt for for power his road numbers like were just crazy good. His overall ISOs are similar. His power, like home run numbers are similar, but batting average is through the roof on the road compared to he's like 306 at home, like 340 almost on the road. Um, you just look at little things like that. And if you make a couple little tweaks, could run into 25 to 30 home runs. I'm not going to say he's going to, but he's got the potential. He wins the profile to be very, very good. And he could get traded, and that would be awesome. So I'll just get him out of that ballpark in a better lineup. There's a lot of things going against him right now in Arizona, which make things a little tricky as well. But yeah, if he could put together like 14 homers in 90 games, if he could, you know, go play 50 more games out there or 45 more games, even let's split it in half. It's seven months, 21 homers. Um, if you're going just by prorating things out, so you know, 25 plus home runs is is not out of the possibilities if he puts a whole season together. Just a a big if these days. All right, as we usually do, we'll go picks 11 through 20. We'll go back and forth with two guys we are looking at at picks 11 through 20. So, uh, Toby, who is your first option here? Uh, first guy I like, and and it may not, I mean, it may, maybe I'm. Uh, it's a cop-out because it's in the second base, you know, um, but is DJ LeMahieu. Um, the projections actually don't like G- DJ LeMahieu. If you put in the pr- projections, they actually say, my projections say that he is not... Um, He's not a good value. They have him as <laughs> it's kind of loud. They have him as negative seventy six in the oh, difference wow. between his projection and his rank. Ooh. And I think and I think this is one of these instances where we need to kind of 
use our judgment about who DJ LeMahieu is as a player and like, what are we going to ascribe 2021 to? And for me, like he was dealing with a core injury. He clearly wasn't right. I mean, even though he was not good, you know, kind of like across the board, you know, there's still contributions that he made. He still kind of gutted it out. He still played. He hit 268, so he was a positive in batting average. The 10 home runs sucks. Five stolen bases is fine. You'll, you'll take that from him. Still got 84 runs, 74, uh, 57 RBI. So he was he was kind of fine, but, you know, where he was going in drafts, you know, it wasn't very interesting. But this, for me, is kind of like the prime example of guy has great season or seasons, gets pushed up way too high because the expectation is that he can recreate that. Then he sucks, you know, and he gets dropped back all the way when the real truth of the matter is he's like kind of the guy in between that. And I'll take the leadoff hitter for the Yankees playing every day with multi-position eligibility, likely to hit over 300. I think, you know, if he plays a full season, his batting averages over the last, however many years, 268 last year, you know, with a 301 batting average, his career BABIP, his career BABIP is 340. He goes to the opposite field a lot. So we know that it's hard. You can't really shift him. He hits the ball on the ground a decent amount. He hits a lot of line drives. So 368 or 260, 268, 364, 327, 276, 310, 348, 301. Right. So, like since 2015, he's hit 300 in one, two, three, four, five of seven seasons. The worst he's hit is 268. And that was with theoretically, you know, a significant core injury that he was battling through the entire season. I don't know how you only get 84 runs with, you know, 650 plate appearances on that Yankees team. I'm not sure how that happens, but I don't anticipate that he's going to replicate it. So I feel pretty good about DJ LeMahieu having not as good of a season as he's had, because I think those were just astronomically good, but a season that looks something like, you know, 290, 100 runs, 70 RBI, 15 to 18 home runs, and five five steals. And that's lovely to me um, right here in the draft, especially when you can plug him in at two of the more difficult positions at second base and third base as you enter this part of the draft. Yeah, no, nothing wrong with where he's going now. It used to be cost too much for me, but now he's becoming much more affordable. So I can get behind that. A healthy DJ LeMay, he'll be pretty nice for sure. Uh, For me, my first one is Jonathan India, pick 93 overall right now. NL Rookie of the Year, coming off 21 homers, 12 stolen bases, hit 269. One thing I really love about uh, Jonathan India is the fact he leads off, so he's worth 98 runs in that offense. But he also walks 11% of the time. He's walked double digits every season of baseball. He's been minor league, pros, you name it. He's done it. He's got great plate discipline, which I really love. So you OBP guys, he's a nice little little, uh, bump for you there, but – it's tremendous when you got like the guys like Votto and you know Winker and company hitting behind you. Casty last year obviously won't have that going for him this year, but lots to love there with Jonathan Eddie, especially leading off uh, for this Reds team. Uh, I think he's going to to continue to run at least get you ten plus stolen bases. I think the power could get even better because in college he hit for a ton of power. So um, I think this could continue to develop. It was kind of a slow slow burn one could say for the uh, the power situation with Jonathan India, but. I think it's a guy that we could see really take off of them and um, really like 
25 ish home runs, uh, maybe even more if he really gets going. But uh, the batting average I think will continue to improve. The on base skills will be great. Basically, from June 5th on, he was uh, leading off continuously for the Reds, hit 17 home runs from that point on, stole nine bases, hit 274, scored 82 runs from June 5th on. So, uh, really, really good stuff once he got comfortable at the top of that order. And uh, the fact, the way he walks so much, it's almost like he's an accumulator just because he just, he, I, I know playing DFS with him, he was, uh, he'd lead off and he'd probably get on base two to three times a game there for a while. Uh, the, that stretch where the Reds were scoring double digit runs over and over again, it was just uh, ridiculous because you think of the teams he's facing, Pittsburgh, the Cubs, who aren't great. Um, uh, who's the other team in the Central? I'm totally blanking on. Not the not the um, Pittsburgh Cubs, Pitts- Reds, yeah, Cardinals, Cardinals. So the Cardinals and the Brewers, Brewers, not bad. But um, you know, you got the Cubs, you got Pittsburgh, you get to play in Great American Small Park, which is always good. So uh, I love Jonathan India. I think I'm kind of surprised. He's going this late because I would have had him over a few other guys, but uh, I guess he's not going super late. But I, I thought he would have got some more helium after last season. And to me, if you kind of miss out on some early second basements, he's a, a decent fallback option for me. Who's your second guy? Yeah, and I'll just say um, uh, you've convinced me on India. I need to I need to get him on some teams. He's really? like my Corbin Burns for this year. We're like Burns last year. I like looked at him and I was like. I love everything about you, but I can't take you there. You know, I can't go there. And I even tweeted the first game of the season before he started pitching. He's my FOMO guy where I'm like, I can't find a reason why not to draft him, but I didn't draft him. And it bit me. And with India, it's similar where I look at the profile. I'm like, everything's getting better. He's super good. He's one of the best hitters in college. And it just took him a while to adjust to big, big league hitting. Like it's, it's starting to show up. I know. So I, I'm going to have to snag him because I can't I can't do that to myself. And you got to imagine a kid like that, too, getting to sit on a bench with Joey Votto every day, the stuff he learns. Like, yeah. it's, I know, again, it's the stuff that it could just be stupid things in my head, but I pay attention to stuff like that, and I think there's an impact there. And I think between Castellanos, who Casti, and he's not there this year, but it's already been documented, Casti and India, big friends, big-time friends. So then you know how much of a nerd video guy Casty is. So the stuff he probably picked up was pretty helpful that second half of the season. So, so my number two guy mm-hmm. um, is Colton Wong. Love him. Who is, if you paid attention to the tweet asking for questions, who is slightly taller than Jose Altuve. <laughs> Colton Wong is 5'7". Jose Altuve is 5'6". So... <laughs> Uh, that's really important information. Uh, Wong to me is like a really, he's like, he's, he's fantastic because, you know, he provides a decent batting average and it's never been great, right? He's not like a 300 hitter, but like, it's never been great. He provides a little bit of pop. He provides a decent, like 10 to 15 steals and he's hitting at the top of the lineup for the Brewers and second base it's really a wasteland. I feel like after LeMay for me and Wong is a special player because where he's going to be able to grab a guy that you feel like is a positive in batting average in steals and isn't necessarily hurting you anywhere except for maybe RBI, you know, that, that is a big deal. And I found myself getting him a lot, I think for that reason, so I really like where he's going, even though like my projections don't have him as like the best 
you know, value um, by any stretch of the imagination. Like they have him, you know, he uh, ranked 170th and his ADP is 177. So, you know, he's like right in line there. But I just think that what he provides for people is um, that profile at that spot in the draft is, is really nice. So I've found myself getting him a lot. Um, a profile he reminds me of, and he doesn't steal as many bases, obviously. We did see 24 steals a few years ago. He reminds me a lot of Tommy Edmond, honestly. Mm. Just a lot cheaper. Like, a lot cheaper. I know Edmond's got that stolen base ceiling on him, but Wong's probably got a little more power on him. Everything else, pretty darn similar. And probably a better offensive situation for Golden Wong. So, um, again, you can't go through every draft going, I can wait and get this guy because if someone else drafts him, you're, you know, you're really in trouble. But that's one thing I like to, to do when I look at these things, when I look at draft boards and you're drafting. Like, and, you know, it's what Babs is in, in Baseball HQ. It's kind of where do these guys can, comparison players and stuff like that. And to me, I, it's not completely perfect. A lot of, lot of Tommy Edmund and Colton Long similarities to me. So mm. something that, that sticks out. My second guy, I had to mention him because I talked him up so much on the review show, is Ryan McMahon. He is the 18th second baseman off the board to pick 165. And I just love the fact that he played 151 games last year after 141 and then 52. So he's been playing pretty consistently. Uh, 500 plus at bats in the last two full seasons. I think that's pretty darn good. In those two full seasons, 23 and 24 homers. about five plus stolen bases. He hit 250, 254. I think you're kind of seeing the guy you're going to get, but I think there's a little bit more. Like most projections have him for like 25 homers. I think 25 to 30 is actually really legit. Um, when you look at his, I looked at his uh, second half actually because I was working on something today, and it's really weird. This past year, he had his best K percentage of his um, since two, uh, 2020. Um, well, his best K percentage since 2017. Sorry, I was looking at something else. So uh, less than 25% K rate. Um, he was much more aggressive swinging at first pitches, much more aggressive in the zone. He's, he's really cautious outside of the zone. Contact rates are a little below league average, but he's very aggressive early on in the count. Uh, doesn't strike out a ton. His lefty-righty splits are less than ideal. That is a concern. Lefties, he has like no power against. Righties, he has tons of power against. Um, but the thing that was really interesting looking at the first half, second half, first half of the year was a massive power year for him. Still had decent power in the second half, massive power in the first half. Second half of the year was much more of a plate discipline season. So I don't know if he's working on something at the plate or what he's doing, but there's two different Ryan McMahons basically throughout the season. So that's something to keep an eye on. But playing time is going to be there because in years past, it's like, oh, who's he going to play? Who's he going to play with? Should be the starting third baseman the whole way. Got second base eligibility on top of it. Those guys are out of the way. I can get 25 to 30 home run upside. Throw on those five steals, which is nice. Um, should be in the middle, like fifth or sixth in that order, I'd say. Should be a nice run producing opportunity. So, like, there's other options that people might like more than Ryan McMahon. I'm a big fan of second base, third base, because that gives you middle infield, corner infield. I think that's phenomenal. But uh, I like Ryan McMahon quite a bit. I still don't think we've seen the absolute ceiling from what, what we can get with Ryan McMahon. All right. Uh, picks 21 or later, Toby, who is one of your guys? Yeah, this was really tough, honestly. Um, nobody's my guy. Like I absolutely hate all of the late second basemen I've come to realize, which is quite unfortunate. Um, uh, but a guy that I had outside of the top 20, um, I mean, technically I think I cheated on Colton Wong. I have him now as 21st. So I guess yeah, he would qualify under there. Um, you know, there's a couple of good ones. I think, you know, we'll talk about some of them a little bit later, but I was trying to get a guy who was like deeper who I ended up with is Garrett Hampson. 
And the reason why I chose Hampson is I found myself in a recent draft, just, you know, kind of light on speed or wanting more speed. And then I kind of went a little bit on a Hampson, um, you know, down a little bit of a Hampson rabbit hole. And I came away just thinking, you know, here's a guy who I think is pretty clearly going to get a shot. Like even last year, I mean, he got close to 500 plate appearances and he pretty much got his shot, right? Like he got a shot, especially down the stretch. Um, when you look at, you know, roster resource has him penciled in a shortstop. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but in looking at some recent uh, Rockies beat writer stuff, they feel like Hampson is locked into that lineup. Like he's going to be in there and he's going to be playing every day. And if that's the case, I think there's a real nice potential ceiling there. Um, the batting average has never been super good, but you know, a lot of that is a quality of contact issue. He's better than league average from a contact perspective perspective. He's better than league average from a plate discipline perspective. So he's got both of these, those things working for him. He had a career low 291 Babbitt last year. His career is 311. You know, so maybe there was a little bit of bad luck there. He had his lowest home run per fly ball rate at 9.1%. You know, he had um 11 home runs. He only had 17 barrels. So he's not, you know, the, I don't think the power is really going to come there for him. But in 500 plate appearances, he stole 17 bases. And if he plays every day and he gets to 600, I, I have no reason to, to, you know, see why he wouldn't hit 20 stolen bases. And if he can get a 10 to 20 season going where he's going, it'll end up being nice because I don't think he'll hit, you know, 234. When you look at the bad X, for instance, I mean, it has him at hitting 269, which is be awesome, which is high. Yeah. It also has him in 19 stolen bases and only 433 plate appearances. Ooh. So again, I think there's a, there's a real opportunity there. And I know he's one of these guys where we've all been waiting for the opportunity. It doesn't happen or it doesn't happen consistently enough. And so we kind of give up on him, but this is exactly where you want to be able to grab Garrett Hampson is you know, after pick 250, when before it was like to 150 or 170 or 180, right? We're getting about a 100 ADP discount. And if anything, he's in a better position this year than he was last year heading into the season. So Hampson is a guy I didn't think I'd find myself being interested in, but I actually think that he could be sneaky, um, valuable. And I think as spring training kind of hits and if it becomes clear that he's going to have a starting role, I think you'll start to see him move up draft boards pretty quickly as people realize, you know, just how much lack of speed there is, especially in a, in a decent power slash potentially batting average profile. I'm hundred percent with you. Uh, it's not the guy I wrote down, of course, but uh, I just grabbed him in like my last couple DCs as well. Um, I might've taken him in that battle to pause with us. If I remember correctly, might, might've happened. Um, but it's funny you mentioned that because just yesterday, uh, Brock Ness Monster, Brock Miller, good friend. He drafted show. him when I was going to take him with <laughs> literally the next pick, I think. Or no, I think I picked like three picks after him in that DC. I was going to draft Hampson. Uh, so that must be where he took Hampson. It was well in front of ADP, too, because I, I needed stolen bases and I needed second baseman, middle infielder. Uh, sorry to interrupt this story. No, that's but fine. Like, I knew where it was going. It was, it was a tweet from yesterday. It was funny because he says, uh, so Garrett Hampson has consistently been a 65 WRC plus guy and a thousand plus pit appearances away from Coors Field. You got a 30% K rate guy with no power, just jumped ADP on him in a draft. Ask me anything. 
Um, I said, well, second base outfit eligible. That's nice, especially in a DC. Pretty nice. And he said, I said, with speed, which you talked about, and it's his clearest path to playing time he's had in his entire career. Mm. Um, so I, I, I put with it, let's get hurt again. Like I'm in at, the, at his price, like you mentioned, because it's you're hundred percent true. If come spring training, you know, he's hitting anywhere in the lineup personally, but top of the order, especially, but that he's just going to play every day. That ADP is going to skyrocket because the idea of him playing every day. Now you're talking 20, 25 steel steals, 10 plus home. Runs. Hey, you know what that sounds like again? Tommy Edmund. <laughs> he just doesn't have a bag in average. Like oh, man, you're, really, you're really throwing down on Tommy Edmund here. It just it makes sense to me if you're talking like, you know, low double digit homers, 25, 30 small bases. Obviously, Edmund's got the batting average. Not going to discount that at all. But Hampson's got that ability to put massive numbers. It wasn't too many years ago where Edmund, or Hampson was going super high in drafts because of the speculation people had. Well, now it's like it actually could happen. So I'm with you on, on your thought process there. I think it's he's definitely right now in DCs. If you can get there as like your second or third second baseman, I think that's a very, very strong play because that, that dual eligibility could be pretty clutch as well. All right, my guy back here. We talked about him a lot in uh, the preview show, but I had to bring him up again. I picked 206 as Jonathan Scope, first base, second base eligible. And it's just like a consistency thing with this guy. You're going to get 20 plus homers more as long as he plays. 22 last year, 23, 21, 32, 25. That's all the full seasons back to 2016. Uh, doesn't give you much in the steals department, but he's going to get you, you know, 75 plus runs, 75 plus RBIs, give or take in that range. And he gets for average 278, 256. 233 was bad, but then 293, 267, 279. You're going to get a good average and get 20 plus homers, decent counting stats for basically free at uh, your second base or first base. So, middle infield, corner infield positions. I love Jonathan Scope. He's a, he's actually a guy I try to target if I can, especially because that dual eligibility. Uh, he's going to start at second base with um, either Miggy or Torkelson at first. He could move to first base. He's just, they paid him money to come back. So, they're going to play him. And I'm a big fan of what Scope can do. So, that's a guy that I, I wanted to highlight. Uh, I'm not as down on these picks as uh, Toby. As I think there's some the value back here. I don't really want to leave a lot of drafts like in a not like a redraft format with some of these guys, but there's options for sure. But all right, I got some ADP debates, and one of them's funny because Johnny L. MLB moving averages asked a legit basically debate yeah. between these two, and um, no, I did not give him the uh, the the outline before the show. So John, this is your question: MLB moving averages. Uh, second base ADP debates, Hori Polanco, around pick 88 versus Jonathan India, around pick 93. They're the exact same player. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, un- it's it's really uncanny. I was faced with the decision in my last draft, and I ended up going with Polanco, but I feel like it was more familiarity, you know, and maybe a more consistent track record than it was any real difference between the players. I mean, honestly, they are identical. Like... I can't think of two players that are more similar than those two. Like they're both probably going to hit lead off, right? Top of the lineup. They both have skill wise, you know, high batting, higher batting average profiles. Um, Power wise, you know, Polanco showed more power last year, but also hadn't shown power throughout his career. Whereas India you know, showed more power in the second half and, you know, plays in a better bar ballpark. Um, they both stolen, stolen base wise, like steals wise. I mean, Polanco, you know, my, maybe my one little bit of concern for him is he had 11 steals last year, 
you know, most of his career. Is he going to get back to that level? I'm not quite sure, but he's still relatively young. Polanco is like, he's been around for a while, but he's still relatively young. And then, um, and then with, with India, it's the same thing. I mean, like, you know, uh, so they're, they're virtually identical. I think if I had four drafts to draft them in, I'd probably end up with two Polancos and two Indias. And I don't think you can go wrong. I mean, the one thing that Polanco has going for him is the shortstop eligibility as well. So if you don't have a shortstop yet, then, you know, get grabbing him and leaving yourself open later on in drafts to be able to have a little bit more flexibility um, in terms of which direction you go, second base or shortstop, um, you know, is one thing that you might want to consider. But they're they're literally identical. I'm not trying to... um, I'm not trying to not answer the question. They're literally like the Spider-Man gif, you know, pointing at each other, just like so similar. And they're 80 and 81st in my ranks. So it's like, I mean. They're right there. They're right there. There's no difference. It's funny because I was like, while you're talking, I was going back and forth on their fan graph page, look at their stats, look at their projections, and they are like peas in a pod. Um, so if I have to differentiate, it's like, if you want the power upside, I guess we've seen Polanco hit 30 plus. So not saying he's going, I don't think he's going to hit 38 plus again, but you probably feel more comfortable with 25 ish from him than he might with India. So you got that going for you at the same time. I think India has got so much more to give. So it's, it's kind of a, who do you, who do you expect to kind of take the next step or does Polanco continue that step? Like where do you fit? I'll play the ballpark game with a great American small park and I'll take a better lineup. Potentially we'll see reds are still making moves. I'll go Jonathan India, but like you said, you probably can't go wrong with either one of them. That's why I ask these questions. Cause I think they're pretty close and pretty interesting players to, to bring up in discussion. And it was funny cause John L actually wanted to know that one. So there you go. Mm-hmm. MLB moving average, big John stud. That's for you. All right. The next one, Chris Taylor, pick 141. Luis Urias pick 158. And I like these two because uh, both multi-position guys. So I wanted to throw this one out there. Yeah, for me, this one isn't isn't that close. I, I like uh, Urias more in this particular instance. Um, I think with, with Taylor, I'm not sold on Taylor. Like I think the batting average floor is pretty low for him. And I think he's kind of had his best season or best half season last year. And I I don't, you know, like, I think the Dodgers love the flexibility. They love the OBP skills. Like he's a good real baseball player, but I think that his best days are behind him. And I think with Urias, I think his best days are behind him. He's got the, I love the um, second, third short. I think he has, which is really nice. The second and third is, is really critical for me on Urias. He has a clear path to path, the playing time. You know, I think the stolen, the steals will be similar. You know, he, I think, I think Urias had five last year in, in limited playing time. So I don't think there's a huge difference there, but I think that there will be a big difference when it comes to um, batting average and potentially even power. I think Urias has some sneaky power that he showed last year, still young, getting better. So I go with Urias pretty easily here. I have no interest really in Chris Taylor this year. Yeah, I have an occasional Chris Taylor share because he falls in drafts, but I am 100% with you on Luis Urias. 23 homers, 5 steals, 77 and 76, hit 249, walked over 11% of the time. Like, I love everything about this kid. I was at, he's only 24 years old. He'll be 25 this year. And last year was a lot of, like, platooning, moving around. That's why he's got that positional flexibility. 
he should be locked into pretty much the everyday third baseman's role this year, which I think will also help him tremendously. Because the Brewers, we saw like they had Eduardo Escobar come over. They had all these moving parts, and they're moving guys around. It should be Urias' job, like unless something crazy happens. Uh, he'll be there with like Adamus and and Telez and Yelich and uh, you know the power bats in the outfield, Renfro and company. So it's a very good lineup, good ballpark to hit in. I, I like Urias quite a bit, so I'm with you on that one. And he's going uh, set a full round later than Chris Taylor, so pretty telling stuff there. The last one I had, the aforementioned Eduardo Escobar, pick 204, the new New York Met, and then Jonathan Scope, 206. Again, these are two of the more consistent profiles you're going to see out there. If, you wait, if you're waiting in the draft, two boring, consistent profiles. Yeah, I think I lean Scope here. Um, I think there's a slight batting average edge, you know, for Scope and kind of a consistency piece that I like a lot. Um, you know, he's kind of known quantity on the Tigers, you know, he's there, he's going to play and you just have gotten just consistent production from him for the past, you know, when he's been healthy for, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, even 2021. And I think that's consistency that you don't necessarily see that often at this point in drafts. Um, Escobar is moving to a new situation with the Mets. I don't love the Mets as a destination, um, but, you know, yeah. So I think they are. I mean, you do a great job of picking these guys who are so similar, Bubba. Um, so I think I'd lead in scope, but, you know, you, they're very similar players. I think maybe scope has that batting average benefit, um, that Escobar doesn't necessarily have, and maybe Escobar has a little bit more um, in terms of home runs. And in that particular instance, I'll go batting average each time, but it's very close. It's very close. Uh, the, I guess the biggest tiebreaker, if you need one for Escobar, is he's third base, second base. So that's huge uh, compared to first base, second base with scope. But it's kind of a, it's a tough one because if you believe, like we talked about Cattell Marte, it's been documented that Arizona just like sucks your average out of you, sucks power out of you. Um, we still saw great years from Escobar back like in 2019, part of 2018 in Arizona, even part of last year in Arizona before he went to Milwaukee. Now, you know, the city field's a tough place, probably a better lineup than he had in Arizona. Plays a lot, but I like that scope consistency. Talked about him already earlier in this podcast. I have a little bit of both in my leagues. It just depends. Like, do I need third base help? Because I've had things battle of the podcast league. Third base just went bananas in that draft so kind of forced my hand more towards the escobar side of things where in other drafts i'd probably rather go scope but um it's a very very interesting one kind of similar profiles but i do like the average with scope like you mentioned especially that late in the draft it's hard to find average with still some pop like sure you can get Luis areas of the twins but what else is he doing besides maybe scoring some runs so uh it gets a little rough for you at that point in time all right, listener questions here. We'll start with the one in the show here. James DeVigrido asks, will Gavin Biggio start at second with Simeon gone? Can you see a breakout? Well, he's projected to be the starting second baseman, so that could be good. Um, I'm not a big Biggio fan, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, you often hear me talk about how low his max exit velo is, um, which... I just think it's hard to see him being a successful hitter in the big leagues. 
And I think that's the one clear area where there's, you know, kind of an upgrade that's needed for the Blue Jays. And I think they'll go in that direction. I mean, honestly, even at third base, I don't even, you know, is Kevin Smith better than Biggio? I mean, I think there's a little bit more of a ceiling. And I bet if we looked at their steamer 600 plate appearances, you'd probably be looking at Kevin Smith having a better line, projected line than Biggio has. Um, the batting average is going to be super low. Um, he doesn't have a high BABIP, you know, he's striking out at a, you know, like a decent clip, but, and you would look at it and be like, oh, well, he's got better than league average contact skills, but he's so, he's so patient that there's probably a lot of called strikes in there and just generally called strikes in that profile, right? His swing percentage is uh, really low. One of the lowest in the league would be, would be my guess. So the batting average is going to be really low and in OBP, maybe there's a chance. And then you're looking at, you know, the steals, but you know, over his last 500 plus plate appearances, he only has nine steals, you know? So you look at those last 500 plate appearances, you're talking about a guy who's hit like 230, maybe in the low two thirties with 15 home runs, you know, nine steals, um, you know, and so like, you can kind of see it if he gets lucky and that batting average goes up, but I don't, and I don't necessarily think that he is known for being good defensively at all. I mean, it looks like he's bad just looking at the defensive metrics, um, you know, pretty quickly here. So I wish I could say nice things about him, but I don't have a lot of nice things to say. I don't think he's a good enough hitter, a striker of the baseball to be in the major leagues. I know a lot of people are high on him this year. I know that much. So really, it'll be, it'll be well, like, I'm not saying high, high, but I'm not saying high, high, but I've heard a lot of, what are they, what are they smoking Bubba? I don't know. Cause it's tough. Like, it? I took They're high on it. I got you. I got you. I, uh, I, I took him somewhere where I was desperate for third base. Like I've had him in one league, one league. Um, and I don't love it. It's more just because I think he will find a path to playing time uh, more often than not. But I'm not in love with it because I do think they find another third baseman. Now Espinal maybe goes to second. Uh, there's so many moving parts. And so but we'll see. Didn't they yeah. Didn't they start Espinal over him? Yeah, but right now Biggio's at second. I said if they go get a third baseman, then Espinal will go to second and Biggio's in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but that's what <laughs> so, I'm saying. Is yeah, like, yeah, that's where yeah, it gets like, tough. So. It's not like last year they are like, oh, we have a ton of faith oh, in you, Cabin. No. Like, no. We checked out your it, max exit you the, below. Yeah, if you look at his like, minor league numbers. Was, right now, we yeah. think it's going to get higher. Yeah, he's, he's bad in the minor leagues last year, too. It, it wasn't good. So Yeah, I mean. And I figured it out, I guess. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, Aaron R asked a question. Who are some of your favorite targets for OBP leagues? Jonathan India. Um, OBP leagues for second base. Kevin Biggio. Um, no, I kid. Um, I <laughs> let's see. Who are your second base? Man, there's not a lot of guys who have a huge discrepancy in their value based on that. I mean, I'd like Chris Taylor a lot more in OBP. Um, he's one guy that I think benefits, uh, from that. I would say Brandon Lau should get a bump. Brandon Lau gets a little bit of a bump. He should. In my, my yeah. opinion. But 
could be wrong. Uh, maybe maybe uh, Kike Hernandez. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, with the Dodgers, he had a really good plate discipline, but I don't know if it's like he just doesn't swing at pitches outside the zone, but people still like pitch him um, inside the zone. Yeah, he had a 10.4% walk rate. You know, so his OBP has was 337 last year. Eh, it's like kind of up and down a little bit with him. Man, um, honestly, it's like slim pickings for OBP here. I'm trying to think of like one guy that very clearly gets like a bump up, but Jonathan India. That's your guy, India. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying him over and over again. I know, uh, but I don't want to just steal yours yeah. though. Well, there's a you couple know? like if you think about how bad they are, if you believe in anything, Glaber Torres gets a massive OBP bump compared to his batting average. Listella, but Glaber is yeah. not second base eligible yet. Oh wow, because I'm fa- I'm, I'm just going off 19. of my projections. 19. Uh, okay. so, the so he will be eligible there. like 20 games into the season, yeah. but he isn't currently. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly like really hard to find guys that get OBP bumps at second base. There's like not a ton of them that are coming to mind. One guy that I do want to mention, cause I don't think he's going to come up. Well, actually he will come up in a later question. So we'll, I'll make him just hold on. All right. DFA Hosmer says, uh, as you can tell, big Padres fan. Um, best early round target, mid round target, late round dart throw you, you could stick. Who's your best early round target? Early round target. Oh, man. What are the, what are early rounds? Um, are we counting Turner and Albies? In I mean, I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'd say, I'd say like the guys that I'm most likely to draft that are going early are Albies and Merrifield. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if I just do this real quick, I'll do the early, mid, and late. So the shares I have a lot of, I have a lot of Albies, Chisholm, um, and then like some Lows in there, and then if you want to go later rounds, probably Scope. So that's where I'm kind of residing. What do you have for mid and late? I mean, mid, I'd take Altuve, Edmund, Polanco, Marte, India, Lemayhew. I go all those guys, depending on how late. Like we talked about, Colton Wong. Um, I'd say like Wong, I'd say I like the Jonathan scope shout. I think Kike Hernandez is good. I would say Garrett Hampson one, like kind of late, late guy. If it's a super deep league, well, I actually like Haseung Kim. Um, I'm, you know, because I think the dot, the, the Padres lineup is not very deep at all. And I can see him getting playing time. And I think if he gets regular playing time, you could be looking at like a 15, 10, 20, 10 type season from him. One guy who I've been getting a decent amount of, who I don't think is getting a lot of traction anywhere and is not like an everyday player, but Nico Horner is interesting to me. I know you used to be a big believer. You may still be, but I think he's a nice guy who is, he's going to be a guy that's like often on the waiver wire or your bench and the starting lineup throughout the season because he's going to give you batting average. And when he's been playing, I mean, he's been stealing a lot. And so if you can get a guy and kind of swap him in there, like in a recent league, I don't think I ended up doing this, but I was thinking like I was really late on second uh, on middle infield. And I was thinking, you want to know something? I could get like a, a Nico Horner, Paul DeYoung, like combo at middle infield and kind of, you know, like the balance of that is like a, a really good player. So I do like Nico Horner is kind of like a late round dart to have on your bench to help you out with the two hardest categories. Yeah. I don't mind that at all. 
Ben Ted asked a question. I had trouble ranking Brandon Lau, Cattell Marte, Jazz, Polanco, and Altuve. I have Baez right behind all five. My plan is just to pick whichever one fits my build best. But who do you like best and least out of those six? Um, for me, I would probably go. And again, it all depends on what my lineup is like. But in a vacuum, Altuve, Chisholm, Polanco, and in India. India is not on the list. Oh, he's not on the list. Who was it? It was Lau, Marte, Jazz, Polanco, Altuve, Baez. Okay. I'd go Altuve, Chisholm, maybe. Polanco. Um, Lau is probably at the end of that list, I would say. That's the one thing. And then Marte. And by well, Baez is probably you know, Baez is I'd say Baez is around jazz. I don't know. It's hard, but I would say Lau's the last, and I think Altuve is probably the first. But I may be more or less likely to draft Altuve just because I'm oftentimes looking for speed in my drafts at that yeah. point. Yeah, I got I go jazz, Baez, Altuve, Polanco, Lau, Marte for me. I'm still kind of not sold on Marte, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Nico at P. Chol King asks, given that second base is pretty deep this year, around what range would you want to secure your primary second baseman? Would you be comfortable having Gene Segura at an ADP around 200 as more or less the cutoff? Appreciate it. This question pertains to 15-team DC. So mm. um, given the range, where would you want to secure your primary second baseman? Guys in my leagues asking questions about people I like. No, I'm just kidding because um, he is, um, Nico is, he's in my league, but we're, we're well past the point of drafting these guys. Um, so Segura was the question specifically. Well, he says, given that second base is pretty deep, what range would you want to secure your primary second baseman? Would you be comfortable having Gene Segura at around an ADP of 200 as your cutoff? Yeah, I, I think that would be totally fine. I mean, I'm not a huge believer in like, you need to have this guy by this point in time. Like I think in some leagues, in some DCs, I have Yandy Diaz as my third baseman, I think. Okay. You know, because it's just a matter of like, you're going to have one position that's really weak. It may be your fifth outfielder, right? It may be your middle infielder. It may be your corner infielder. But if you get like a, um, you know, if you get, two really good shortstops and you have your shortstop and your middle infielder filled. And those are better picks value wise or perceived value wise than the second baseman at the time, then getting a worse second baseman makes sense, you know? Um, so you're always going to have one spot on your team that has the worst hitter or the hitter that you feel like is the worst. And I don't think it really matters where that is, um, what position that player plays as long as you're maximizing your, you know, when you're drafting your perceived value, but the value that you see in terms of the difference between the rank and the ADP um, of the player. I don't see, you know, whereas like with first base and, and catcher, like I see a lot of value on the board, at least based on my spreadsheet, which may just mean I need to make positional adjustments to them. But second base is pretty, 
it's pretty on par. There's not a ton of values, but Gene Segura is one of them. I have him as, you know, player 135 and his ADP is 202. So that's a mad, massive difference right there. Um, so, yeah, that's all to say yes. Yeah, I like that range. Segura right behind him, Eduardo Escobar, Jonathan Scope, Enrique Hernandez. In all honesty, like Toby said, if you drafted, you know, two shortstops or this, that, or the other, you can live with one of those guys at second base. You really could. Like in a perfect world, those are your backup second baseman, but uh, it just depends on how you're drafting. So like maybe you double tap quickly and get two of those guys or uh, get one of them, get Cesar Hernandez another round or so later, something like that. So a little more comfort because, you know, if worse comes to worse, you're starting Cesar, who's hitting towards the top of the Washington lineup, not the end of the world. Um, so I, I don't mind. And there's a couple late round guys. I don't mind. We'll talk about them in a couple questions. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a decent. I wouldn't go too much farther. Let's put it that way than, than that realm. Um, MS at SMMS 79 asks, piggybacking off of this, this was the question um, from DFA Hosmer earlier. Where does Simeon need to fall to become an option for you? Or is he off your board entirely due to environmental factors? Um, I guess for me, he's off the board because I don't think he's going to fall enough for me. I, if I had to pick a number, 65, 70, but I might just be overdoing it. Yeah, let me just see really quickly. Because for me, it's like once he drops enough, now he's in Javi Baez range, I'll probably just go Javi Baez. So I have him, I have Semyon as player 51 overall. Player 51. So, which is... It's not that far off anymore. Semyon's like yeah, it's like third. It's like fourth 45. round. It's yeah. like fourth round. But, like, on the same sense, it's like you're not getting a super high batting average, I don't think, and you're not getting a ton of steals. So the way that I oftentimes build my teams, I have less interest than him there. So that's kind of like where he is on my sheet, where maybe I start to consider him. But I think it would probably be more like fifth, sixth round where I would be looking at that type of profile. And I'd have to compare him, you know, to other guys like, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. Uh, Art Cheesecake from Triple Play Fantasy mm-hmm. asks, who is the best super late second base target and why is it Tommy Listella? Listella is a good one, but I got well, I think is a better one than Tommy Listella, a guy I've fallen in love with time and time again. And if you're going super late in the D.C., I love Tony Kemp at pick 378. Going to be leading off probably for Oakland, second base outfit eligible, going to be playing a ton. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of guys I like, but he, like um, – Given Kemp's like 70 picks in front of La Stella, but I like uh, I like Kemp a lot, you know, right behind him, Robinson Cano. One of my real favorites is Michael Chabas at pick 541, but uh, that's just a, a bias thing. But I, I think there's some fun later second base picks, which makes it also not as important to go too early on second if you really don't want to, in, in DCs at least. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think La Stella, is he, is he a free agent? No, he's starting for no, the Giants. He's still with the Giants. Yeah, I think yep. there's a super cap on his um his value because he's going to be platoon there. Like the Giants That's platoon the everybody, and I think that makes him borderline like unrosterable. Not like and I don't mean to be mean, but like not in DCs necessarily. But like it's really hard to have a guy on your bench who you know on a regular basis who's not that good on a per plate appearance basis and is also like, you know, not going to be playing every day. Um, guys that I'm interested, I mentioned Nico Horner. Like he's interesting to me just because of what he provides. I think he's hard to have in your lineup all the time because he doesn't, 
hit home runs, um, like any. Like I think he has like one barrel in his career or something. Um, one guy who's going kind of late that I'm that I'm interested in. I haven't drafted just because I'm looking for different things in DCs, and that's all I'm drafting at this point. I have a this is not analytical at all. I have a I have a sneaky suspicion about Luis Garcia on the Nationals. Okay. There's just something about him. Like he's very young for every level. He started hitting a decent amount of barrels last year. He should play. I mean, even though Cesar is there, I think that they find a way to get them both in the lineup because it doesn't make sense for them to bring in Cesar and sit Luis Garcia on the bench all the time after they already brought him up. Um, I just have a sense that he's going to be better than people anticipate. And again, it's not based on, you know, um, let me see if I can get the right Luis, Luis Garcia up. No. <laughs> That's the Astros guy. Um, I just want to share some numbers. So it's not like just me making um, stuff up here. Uh, oh man. Anyways, Luis Garcia uh, is a guy that I'm like kind of interested in. Okay. Here he is. Here he is. So, you know, he hit 242, but he had a 273 Babbitt, you know, hits a lot of ground balls, but he had a 5.2% barrel rate. So he had 10 barrels, decent max EV around 110, you know, um, six home runs, you know, in those 247 plate appearances, doesn't look like he's stealing that much. So maybe that takes a little way, bit away from it, but you know, even the bad X has him at 262, you know, in terms of his batting average, 10 home runs, four steals and 427 plate appearances. So if he can outperform that maybe a little bit, but probably not a guy you want to draft, probably just a guy to keep your eye on. Yeah. He has, he showed the pedigree in the past. That's for sure. So he's interesting. I remember like being a fab pickup at times when he got the the call-ups and everything. Be curious to he's see how they go about too. that. Yeah. I, I'm just curious how they go about it. Cesar Hernandez, you think they want to give Carter Keeban one last chance, one last chance. Like, so it'd be interesting to see what the Nats do. That's for sure. I'm with you on that. Uh, Brock Tyson has a question for us. What do you guys think about Edmundo Sosa compared to some of the guys going ahead of him in ADP, Fletcher, Harrison, Flores, Solak? I prefer him to all of those guys with his top 10 sprint speed along with his 123 WRC plus he put up in the second half last season. Um, Edmund Sosa. Um, I think the problem with Sosa is going to be playing time. Most likely, um, from everything I've seen, the Cardinals appear to have said that Paul DeYoung is the starting short for the Cardinals. I believe that's everything that I've seen. And so if Paul DeYoung is the starting shortstop, I'm not exactly sure what Sosa is going to contribute. I mean, in 326 plate appearances, he did hit 271 with an elevated BABIP, but he only had six home runs. He had four stolen bases. You know, if you project him for a full season, you're looking at like, you know, 10 and 10 and eight, 10 and seven uh, in terms of home runs. You know, he had nine barrels for those six home runs. So he's right around where he should have been. I know that people have mentioned like the max EV, but I think that's been kind of beat to death on Twitter in terms of like the max EV and, but not really having like the supporting skills to, to match that. 
So that's just like a long way of saying, I don't think Sosa is really anything. I think De Jong is going to be the shortstop there. I anticipate that De Jong is going to have a bounce back season. I really like him a lot. Yeah, there's, uh, there's rumors. I think it was Colette I heard talk about it, that he's got the uh, swing trainer like J.D. Martinez had, that uh, Justin mm. Turner had, all those guys. So you know how that goes. That could be a fun one to look at. But I mean, the thing with De Jong is you look at the underlying numbers, they're not different at all from any other year yeah. other than his Babbitt, you know? Yep. Like even the, the barrels were really nice. Like everything was nice. He just struggled and it happens. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Uh, Torres at Torres takes asks, who is the last player that you'd be comfortable with taking as your starting second baseman? We already hit on that around that Gene Segura range. So we were talking about give or take. Yeah. So I'd like to, to have it by Colton Wong. I mean, ideally, yeah. but yeah. Uh, Anthony Gialdi asks, name an early second baseman you're out on and one going past round 40 in DCs that you really like. Jackson Coar says, hi, Toby. <laughs> Another person in my round, in my one of my drafts, and we're not at round 40 yet, who's asking me questions. I see how it is. Um, early, I mean, I guess Semyon is the guy that, yeah. you know, of the second baseman I'm kind of out on based on where they're going right now. Maybe Brandon Lau as well, just to add in a second guy there. God, round 40 of DCs. What is so that? Past, four times 10 600. is 400. Four times 600. five is 600. 600. 600. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. It's 200. After pick 600. <laughs> so Who have I, I picked? I mean, Sergio Alcan- uh, Alcantara is interesting to me. Cubs, yeah. um, he did well last year in the minors. He had interesting numbers, but I don't think he's going to play. Um, I guess Hoy Park is a guy that I've drafted. Um, he was traded to the pirates from the Yankees in the minors. He did exceptionally well, um, last year. He's kind of an older guy. I think he's like 25. Um, yeah, he is 25 last year in the minors at triple at triple a, he hit 327 with a 20% walk rate, a 20% K rate. 10 home runs and eight stolen bases in 223 plate appearances. Um, even if you look at his projection right now, the bad X has him at 240 with three home runs and four stolen bases. If you were to project that to 600 plate appearances, you know, you're looking at a 10 and 10 and 15 guy, 10 and 12 guy, something like that. Um, you know, so he's kind of like way up there, like kind of up there. He did have six barrels. You know, um, after he came up, 6.5% barrel rate, which is decent, 110 max exit velocity. You know, so again, we're working with a small sample, but I do like the kind of general profile and um, plate approach for him. Yeah, there's a bunch of interesting ones back here, like Park for sure. Uh, Isaac Paredes is a prospect that the Tigers have tried to get going before. Uh, For me, a guy, if you want to take a long shot, you're looking for some late potential steals, Richie Palacios of Cleveland. Uh, hasn't seen big league uh, yet, but last year in double A AA and triple A, seven combined homers, 20 combined stolen bases, walked over 11% of the time at both stops, um, walked 17% of the time at triple A, hit over 290 in both stops as well. So he's hit great uh, batting average wise throughout the entire minors, pretty good plate discipline the whole time, uh, striking out less than 20% of the time of where he went, uh, and he's shown some speed as well. So I think um, Palacios is one. 
with all the the Cleveland trades going down these days, you wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden, you know, come August, September, you're seeing a lot of youngsters getting a shot. He could definitely be one. And if you give him 30-plus games, potentially, he could probably snipe you five-plus bags the way he steals If uh, in, in a perfect world. I'm just throwing that out there. So, you know, he's going after pick 700. If you just want to throw a dart out there, problem is, is he would not even make the bigs. So at least Hoy Park, pretty sure he'll get some playing time. Like, but um, Palacios is one if you want to take a long shot that I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate. Edwin Turnage asks, which of the Urias brothers hits more dingers? I'm assuming Lu- Luis Urias and Ramon Urias. I'm going with Luis Urias. Oh yeah, are they are they brothers? I don't think so. I think he's just joking. Oh, um, I like Ramon Urias a lot. Um, but I think Luis Urias is gonna, um, he's gonna be, I think he showed a ton of pop and I think he'll be good there. Um, but Luis Urias is somebody that I've been drafting in DCs. If I need, you know, a little second base shortstop, uh, backup, I even had him, I had him last year in a couple places, but yeah, he had 18 barrels last year, one 12.7 max EV. Um, those 18 barrels resulted in only seven home runs. So there's a little bit more pop there than maybe meets the eye and you know the contact skills and the play discipline are are pretty strong as well so um but it's a nice way to uh edwin's a good player and uh, he's beaten me in a couple, in a couple of dcs and it's a good way to highlight that maybe your ramon uh your your is um a little undervalued where he's going i do worry there's like a lot of, i feel like there's a lot of mouths to feed um in baltimore and he is you know kind of older when it comes to the prospect side of things. So I don't think he's part of their future. So I worry a little bit about playing time for Ramon, but um, both, you know, very similar kind of approaches. Yep. I, I took him in battle of the pods and I wrote about him as late Did round you? target. So I like rolling your eyes quite a bit, but I, if I have to pick between the two, Luis is the power guy. Um, John H with our last question here, which boring effective second baseman do you prefer for 2022 Gene Segura or Jonathan scope? I'll take Jonathan scope. But I like Segura. Don't get me wrong. Segura is, yeah. I, like him, I mean, I think the, the challenge with these questions is they're very different players. Um, I would go Segura in a vacuum probably because you got the batting average and the speed, you know, relatively speaking. And I think, you know, the power differential while somewhat significant, I don't think is, is actually that much, you know, you're um, Segura hit 14 home runs last year compared to scopes like 25, I think. Um, so I would go with Segura just because he has the scarce categories. Um, the projections also say that he's a lot more valuable than scope is, but I certainly wouldn't mind scope either for all of the reasons we've articulated earlier. Yeah, uh, they're they're both fine, very very fine. I'll take scope, but um, I guess team dependence, as Toby said, it just kind of depends on what you're looking for there to narrow them down. But uh, make sure you get one of those before you keep going any farther. All right, well that'll wrap us up, Toby. Second base in the book. Final thoughts before we head to shortstop next week. Shortstop sounds good. Let's okay. do it. Um, yeah, thank you for hanging with us. We hit the two hour mark just now. Um, sorry, Bubba. I know you probably have like things you're doing afterwards. Nope. Um, but yeah, appreciate it. These previews are really fun. Thanks for all the great questions. Keep them coming. Um, it's a fantastic part of the, of the show when you guys are able to get those in. And so really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. 
Yep, keep the questions coming. We we love them, especially once the previews are done. Keep tons of questions coming. We love all of those. So uh, we want to highlight what you guys want to listen to. So that's the biggest part for this. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Lots and lots of fun here. Second base in the books. We got shortstop coming at you next week, which is a loaded position. So that should be a real fun one to cover. I expect a ton of questions because there's not enough time to cover all of the shortstops that you could potentially draft at that position, but we'll do our best. But until then, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Intric. This was Bubba the BatFlip episode 111, your second base 2022 season preview. Catch you guys later. That's going to wrap us up for episode 207 of the BatFlip Crazy podcast and edition number 111. Above in the bat flip. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all of the terrific listener questions that we're getting on these previews. It's super helpful in making sure that we not just cover some of the like, you know, top ends and the middle rounds, but really getting at, you know, all different types of strategy questions and um, players to analyze. So thanks so much for that. Next week, we will continue with our shortstop preview. So, so should be a lot of fun um, on a really, really deep position. Um, Best of luck with all of your fantasy drafts that you're doing out there. Let's hope we have some baseball soon. Take care and be kind to one another.